1: Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? Will last forever. The Stanley Cup final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday.
0: This is the character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's character and Smallman.
2: Everyone, and welcome to Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. at 701, oh, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And uh, from the 101 ESPN Weather Center, apparently it's supposed to start snowing, Michelle, at like 8 a.m., about uh, in an hour.
3: It was snowing on my way in, right? Was it?
2: Okay, so uh, from the 101 ESPN Weather Center, flurries in the St. Louis metro area, one to three inches expected today. Drive careful, and by all means, make sure that you have bread, milk, and eggs so that you can make French toast. Is that the play? That's why people get bread, milk, and eggs, apparently. Really? Why else would you get those three items?
3: To eat separately?
2: That's, people stock up on that. I don't know why they don't stock up on double stuff Oreos. Oh, yeah. If you're going to the grocery store, you want to have sustenance, right? You want to make sure that if you're going to be snowed in with one to three inches of snow for the next two weeks, you want to make sure that you have important things. So it's... Oreos, It's hot chocolate. Um, maybe some toasted rav or something like that. Oh, yeah. So that you can have, like, healthy food. What else do you get?
3: Well, I'm surprised more people don't go for canned goods, things that will hold yeah. longer. Bread only gives you so much of a shelf life. You're going to have to eat it quickly.
2: Right. Yeah, so canned goods, like. Or we, you could are, freeze it, I guess. Are, are you talking like Chef Boyardee?
3: I or, mean, Randy, I'm Italian. No, don't disrespect me Okay, like
2: sorry about that. <laughs> But uh, canned veggies, canned fish, like, what direction are we going here with yeah, the canned Yeah,
3: I would say there are soups that you could get that yeah, are canned. Call. Um, yeah, if you want to get some chicken, you could freeze it, get some beans, some corn, maybe some canned salsa. You can make yourself a little burrito action. Stuff that won't go. Good calls. But yeah. I guess you can freeze bread, too. I, that just came to me.
2: I always love it. The reason that I did that, and there's only one reason. By the way, I, I don't know if I gave our sponsorship, but it's now 7.03. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. But if you go to any big city like Chicago, New York, Philly, L.A., they've got a guy with a super, super, super deep voice that says, From the 101 ESPM Weather Center. You know, on the, on the all-new stations, they yes. all have super deep voices. It's really fun to listen to. I like it.
3: And we have one right here.
2: That's right. We have traffic and weather together at 7.03 on 101 ESPN. There is no traffic and it's snowing.
3: If you're, if you're snowed in for the next few days and you could make one thing, if you're going to make one big meal, what's it going to be?
2: I am going to have the goods for pizza. I'm going to do pizza at home.
3: That's a good play. Homemade pizza? Yeah. How about you? It's warm. If you have the dough, you could make more than one. Right, yep. Get all the fixings. You could do different types of pizza.
2: And you have time to do it.
3: You have time to do it. That's really good. I would probably do, I definitely want comfort food. It definitely needs to be warm. It sticks to your insides. I think I'm going to go baked ziti.
2: Oh, great call. Yeah. That's a really good idea.
3: Oh, yeah. By the fire, it sounds awesome. How about
2: our St. Louis Blues? It was the first game of a series, so they had to win, right?
3: Yeah, you knew that this one was in the bag. Yeah, even, before even, it started. Before it started, <laughs> even despite the opponent that you were playing, even despite towards the end there when it got a little hairy and you yeah. didn't know if the Blues would pull it out, you thought, it's the first game. They'll, they'll win.
2: Alex Tuck scores for Vegas to make it 1-0, 317 into the game. David Perron comes back to tie it. He's getting hot now. He scores for the Blues to make it one 1-1 at the 408 mark of the first and then with the blues on the power play at the 8-11 mark
4: blues go to an amarin missouri power play get it over to david perron he scores perron from the top of the circle schwartz a screen again in front and the st louis blues have taken a two-to-one lead it's a power play goal
2: Hashtag LGB, and we're all cheering at the 10-10 mark. Jaden Schwartz made it 3-1 St. Louis. That was the score after one, and I texted John Kelly after that first period. I said, you remember that game last January when the Blues were up 3-0 after a period in Vegas and lost? Said, yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the second period, Max Petretti scores 142, and it's a 3-2 game. But then the Blues and all of us got a lot of excitement midway through the period.
4: Blues being out shot 23-12. They forced the turnover. Great work. Blues bring it in. Kyrou shoots. He scores. What an effort by Jordan Kyrou. He muscled up on the puck, and then he dropped the weights behind the goalie. Leonard couldn't keep an eye on it. The Blues are back up by two. Four to two the score. Kyrou the goal.
2: What an impressive goal. Michelle, I I put it on Twitter last night. I think it's the most impressive goal by a Blues right winger since... Laddie's one on four at Madison Square Garden about six years ago.
3: I saw that, and it, which was a great remembering by you. No surprise, mega But gosh, was that impressive? And I love the fact that it was not only a highlight real goal like that, but it comes against the former captain and Alex uh-huh. Petrangelo. <laughs> yeah,
2: and Petro's look was great.
3: I tweeted this. His reaction <laughs> after Kyrou scored that goal said it all. It you, mm-hmm. it it was wow. It was a wow and defeat. Like, I cannot believe that he just did that.
2: Yeah. As you might guess, the Blues could not stand that prosperity. Max Petretti <laughs> scored a pair of goals in the third period, and it goes to an overtime tied at four. Three on three. We're still 4-4. We get to the shootout. Perron scores for the Blues. Marcia so misses. For Vegas, Ryan O'Reilly misses for the Blues. Shea Theodore scores for Vegas, and that set up Braden Shen with the shootout even at one apiece.
4: So Braden Shen in on Robin Leonard, third round of the shootout. Shen in shoots, what a backhand, glove side. He scores, and the Blues are up two to one in the shootout. With the Vegas Golden Knights having one more chance to tie it.
2: And that was Alex Tuck. He missed. Binner was able to stop him, and the Blues win it five to four. But all of the discussion after the game was about Jordan Cairo. Craig
5: Barubi on that goal. He's competitive right now and skating. Um, could have had three goals, you know, tonight with the chances he had. And, you know, he he's got some high end skill. It's nice to see. And David Perron has been that young
2: guy with high end skill, and he's pretty impressed
6: you just never know that part but where you really impressed me like two years ago when you made the team out of camp you had a good good training camp good start of the year and again um not necessarily um i mean it's tough to get those opportunities on the top six and understanding at, at that age uh, what you need to do to be successful and even sometimes like the start of the game was a little bit sloppy you don't get things going the right way all the time and it, it was a little bit like that for for us at the start, I felt and uh, and for him, and he found a way to, to really create a big goal for us. Uh, Chiefs trusted him to go in over, overtime too. It's it's great to see. Um, and again, like I think he's he's just deserving of everything, and it's more than just his on-ice play. It's everything included. It's great
3: the skill, the speed, he is developing into a legitimate threat for the St. Louis Blues. It seems as if last night was the night for the Jordans. I know David Perron mm-hmm. had a great night too, but Jordan Cairo, Jordan Bennington, two major factors heading into this season. We needed Jordan Bennington to be at a certain level for the Blues. We needed the emergence of players like Jordan Cairo for this Blues team to find th- their, themselves and find the success that they want. Incredible to see both of them have great performances last night. Yeah,
2: And Bl- Bennington's teammates did hang him out to dry and he saved them 46 shots for Vegas, 42 saves for Bennington. The Blues only had 25 shots on goal and made the most of those against Robin Leonard. The Blues also took seven penalties and allowed four power plays in the third
5: period. That's something
2: that they got to clean up.
3: That's a problem. Yeah, they almost gave it up. That's a problem. Coach
5: Berube, what does this team need to do better? Well, I think just killing plays in our in our D zone more than anything. And then their rush plays tonight, they made some plays off the rush where, you know, we got to deny the blue line a little bit harder. We gotta we gotta surf over and deny that blue line harder and kill plays and then, you know, just in the D zone we gotta kill more plays. There was too many plays that were made, you know, because you just get too much separation and then they, you know they're a good team and they make plays. So it's just being tighter on people and harder on people, winning a little bit more puck battles. Uh, that'll that'll clean a lot of that up. And
2: so the Blues come away with the two one victory. Obviously Vegas has a point, so the Blues are two points behind Vegas in the Honda Western Division. And one other note that we should make is that the Wild lost to the Kings 2-1. So the Blues are now in second place in the Honda West.
3: Alright, now let's see if they can match that intensity in, in the second game tomorrow night.
2: Yeah, that's going to be that, that's the biggest test for the Blues, right? Yep. All right. Some of the other things that happened in sports, by the way, we'll mention later, but uh, multiple reports suggesting the Blues are talking to other teams about moving Vince Dunn, who sat last night after the giveaway on Sunday.
3: Yeah, that's that. I read those reports last night. I wonder if they'll go through with it, but it just seems like he is in a precarious position with the Blues right now.
2: He signed a one-year deal, 1.875, with the Blues before the season, and I think the Blues, who apparently are looking for a first-round pick for him, they also probably need to open up some cap space for a backup goalie.
3: Maybe. Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> you're not totally in on Billy who so yet. Not yet, no. But with Dunn in those turnovers, you you knew. Yeah. Well, we heard the. The bite that we played yesterday from Craig Berube after the game when he said, we're going to keep that in-house. That's going to be a one-on-one conversation. You knew that internally they were not pleased with what they were seeing.
2: Baseball... John Moselock said that January would be the new December here. It was on January 26th, today the 27th. And multiple signings. The Phillies re-signed JT Real Muto. Five years, $115.5 million. The Blue Jays signed shortstop Marcus Simeon. One year, $18 million. The Twins signed Andrelton Simmons to a one-year deal worth $10.5 million. So... At least other teams are making
3: moves. That's right. At least some people in baseball are, are acquiring players or retaining players. But JT Romoto, obviously the big one in regards to what we are monitoring here in St. Mm-hmm. Louis. Our friend Greg Amzinger of MLB Network thinking that that might be a potential landing spot for Yadier Molina. So it really does seem like the way the market has developed, the way the landscape has sort of settled down that the best place for yadi to return if, in fact, yeah. he wants to return is the Cardinals.
2: And it sounds like the Cardinals don't want to bid against themselves. They made an offer, and it sounds for all the world as if they said, I don't know if they said it to him, but they certainly have, if you read between the lines, listen to Bill DeWitt Jr. The Cardinals have made their offer, and they hope that yadi takes it.
3: Well, Randy, when he was sitting in his Rolls Royce the other day, posting on Instagram <laughs> with his insane watch and his iced-out chains, he said it was time. It was time yep. to, to make a decision soon. So I wonder if we'll see some movement on that front now that the real Muto domino has fallen.
2: And finally, and we're going to talk more about the Hall of Fame at the bottom of the hour, but Kurt Schilling sure made the writers and Hall of Fame's job a lot easier yesterday when he missed the Hall of Fame with 71.1% of the vote, said that he doesn't want to be on the ballot next year. And I'm sure a lot of writers. I'm sure a the Hall of Fame probably breathed a sigh of relief because they don't want that sort of partisanship. They don't want to politicize baseball in the Hall of Fame any more than it already has been. And I'm sure the writers who were torn about Chilling Ken Rosenthal said he voted for him and then immediately wanted to get his ballot back. I'm sure the writers are feeling a, a sigh of relief that now he doesn't want to be in the Hall of Fame until he can be voted on by some former players.
3: They're in a tough position, the writers, because they really do have to weigh a lot of factors heading into this. But Kurt Schilling, I understand that he's frustrated, and I understand that he believes that he's not getting a fair shake, so he's removing his name from this process. But these are still writers, 71.1% of which think he's Hall of Fame worthy. So so he's close to the desired percentage, just not there. But he's probably right by saying that he's not going to get it.
2: If you are the Hall of Fame, do you accede to his wishes and say, okay, fine, we'll take you off the ballot?
3: Yeah, I would. I because, would, too. <laughs> because then it's less of a headache for them. No if doubt. That's what, I would respect his wishes, yes.
2: Yeah, I would, too. There you go. That's our uh, start. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780 for Ask Uncle Randy. Feel free to send us a mic drop with our 101 ESPN mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. And you can also send us an email if you're around your, if you're listening at, at your computer at work or at home and you just want to send an email, you can do that too at AskUncleRandy at
0: 101ESPN.com. But
2: Ask Uncle Randy coming your way next
0: here with Carrick and Smallman. You're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: Here to provide you sage advice, not only about sports, but life in general, whatever questions you might have about relationships, about what you might want to do for an anniversary or a birthday coming up. I've been through it all, I've been around, you know. So, uh, <laughs> feel free to send your text into the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. You can also mic drop us with the Rhino Shield mic drop. Just use the 101ESPN app. It's very easy. You can ask your question that way. And we do have that email, ask Uncle Randy at 101ESPN.com. Michelle, what are they giving you?
3: All right, this one's tricky, Uncle Randy, okay. from the 312. Dear Uncle Randy, my girlfriend wants the code to my phone. I don't have anything to hide, but I also don't want her snooping around all the time. And frankly, I feel annoyed that she doesn't trust me. But at the end of the day, I don't want to deal with her complaining if I say no. So what do I do?
2: This is an exceptionally tough question. Um, I would say, look, if you need to look at my phone at any time, I'm, I'm happy to hand it over to you. But I'm not giving anybody the code to my phone.
3: Whoa, really? Yeah. Wow, I did not think you would take that route.
2: No, it's uh, if if she wants to utilize the phone and she wants to go through texts or uh, histories or things like that, just hand it over. But say, uh, I, I would I would not. I'd say I don't do it for anybody. I wouldn't do it for you. I won't do it for my parents. I'm, I'm not going to do it for anybody. I, that's just information that I have and when when I have my phone with me, I don't want you to go in and change my code or change the things that are in my phone. You might mess something up and not even realize that you've done it. So I like my settings the way they are and I'm going to keep them that way and uh, so I'm going to maintain my phone's code.
3: But you know she's going to immediately think that there's something to hide if you won't give it to her. Well, then, I do understand where you, this guy's coming from.
2: And what you do is you, you say, well, here, whenever whenever you want to see my phone, I'll unlock it and I, I, I'll hand it over to you. Whenever. Doesn't matter when, but I just don't want you to have the code to my phone.
3: <laughs> I understand where you're coming from, but I do think that that is not going to be an easy resolution. I know a lot of people that... If you don't give up the code, get upset about it. This was a conversation some of my girlfriends had Mm -hmm. recently.
2: And this is a girlfriend, not a wife, right?
3: A girlfriend, correct.
2: She doesn't trust him.
3: I was going to say, she's asking for the code for a reason. This isn't just something at one stage in the relationship where you say to your significant other, we've been together six months and three days. Now it's time to give me the code. She's asking because she doesn't trust you for some reason. right?
2: So for that reason, I, I would come back and ask. Why don't you trust me? What have I done to cause you to not trust me?
3: Okay, we're getting a lot of response from this, from the text line. I wonder if we should do a poll on this, because I'm very yeah. curious how many people have the codes to their significant other's phone. Hmm. I know my parents do, but, I mean, what's on there? Texts from each other and words of exactly. friends? Right. Like, yeah. I don't care. Um, but yeah, that's, it. that's interesting. I've never been in that position, so I, w- I don't know how I would handle it. But I do know that some people take that very seriously. Some people think it's, it's an automatic, if we're mm-hmm. together, that I should have it. And other people think it's a violation of privacy.
2: Well, the only reason that I have a code on my phone is because when I bought a new phone, the phone made me. Otherwise, it would be a whole lot easier for me in my life just to not even have a code that I had to plug in. And now I, I use my thumb anyway. There you go. Just say, hey, it's a thumbprint. I don't even know the number.
3: Yeah, they. my phone scans my face.
2: Yeah. So.
3: But then you can manually... Put sorry, in babe. The
2: numbers. Sorry, sorry, babe. I don't remember. It, it <laughs> looks at my face.
3: Sorry, babe. It just scans my <laughs> face. You won't be allowed in. Okay, dear Uncle Randy, what's your go-to steak seasoning when grilling?
2: All right. I've got a new one. And I'm obviously here in St. Louis. So, and I... I guess if I'm going to go with my go-to, I've got Citizens can- Citizen Cane's, which is fabulous. But our friend Mike Johnson from Sugarfire, we had him on, I think, was it with you and I? Or no, it was in the Fastlane because I got some for BT too. It's called Johnny Joseph's. You can find it on the web and I think you can get it on Amazon. It's called Johnny Joseph's Steak Seasoning. And it is absolutely fantastic. If if you get a ribeye or if you get a a, a strip and you're going to do it on the grill I would recommend getting some really extra virgin olive oil and then liberally applying Johnny Joseph's to the steak and putting her on the grill, searing that baby up and enjoying it. And I'm a medium well guy. I know a lot of people like medium their steak. Well, yeah. Really? So 155 degrees. That's where I go.
3: I like it medium. Close enough. Yeah, nothing wrong with
2: that. That's good, too.
3: Okay, I'm going to tweet this out, the poll. Okay. The question, would you give your phone passcode to your significant other? Good. Good question. Yes. It is tweeted. Please let us know because I am very curious.
2: And later in the show we'll tell you how badly I got beaten my national anthem choice of the Dixie Chicks over at Whitney Houston.
3: <laughs> Absolutely worked. Let's just put it this way. Whitney Houston is Jordan Cairo. The Dixie Chicks were Alex Petrangelo. We'll just put it that way, okay? <laughs> All right, next one. Dear Uncle Randy, do you think with the recent trend of playing great in the first game and then not so much in the second game that the Blues can break Blake lake break this split and take the second series a second game in the series
0: i do
2: and here's why i believe the second game issues have primarily been about effort clearly the eight nothing loss against the avalanche that was that was primarily effort they didn't even really try in that game The San Jose game was definitely effort. They should have beaten San Jose and they lose in the shootout in that one. And then the third game, the Kings game the other night. Again, it's almost like they go into a game thinking they're better than they really are and thinking they're better than the opposition. The margin between NHL teams is so small that you have to try every night. So with the issue being effort... And the one thing that a hockey player can absolutely 100% control being effort. Yeah, I think they can solve this problem. And I wouldn't be surprised if that problem were solved tomorrow night. And I do believe, tell me if you agree with me, that this is the most outspoken that Craig Berube has been about his team's effort since he took over as coach over the course of the last week or so
3: since the very beginning when he took over a team that was struggling Mm -hmm. and that was in last place, this is the most that I've heard him talk about effort because that hasn't been an issue. Once they righted the ship back in 2019 and they started rolling and went on that incredible winning streak, it was foot on the gas until they won the Stanley Cup. And then last season, there was virtually no drop off until the stop. So this is the first time that he's really had to address it. But yeah, when he comes out and blatantly says this is about attitude, it's about compete, it's about hard work work and want and this is something that these guys need to get together if if my coach was Craig Ruby and he was saying that publicly I think I'd be paying attention
2: (laughs) yeah Uh, it just seems even just watching him behind the bench it seems like he's been more bothered this year with things and last night the penalties you see he's just shaking his head after penalties it's happening more than we've ever seen with him which is a good thing I I think the players need to understand it when he first took over he had to kind of have a mental uh, or a, a, a gentle touch with them I don't think he feels like he needs to anymore he can drop the hammer a little bit to try to get the most out of them
3: well if you're a coach and you're watching all these self-inflicted wounds happen in front of you it has to be frustrating yeah. because it's not a matter of skill it's a matter of effort right and a matter of discipline so yeah that would be frustrating so
2: to answer the question I think they can solve the problems
3: Okay, this is another tough one for you. We're just throwing Uncle Charlie's at you today, Randy. Uncle Charlie and Uncle Randy. Uncle Charlie's and Uncle Randy's. Dear Uncle Randy, my wife and I have split up. We've been together seven years, married for two. We have two kids. Lately, all we do is fight. She wants to try counseling, but I'm not sure if it's worth the money. She thinks she does no wrong, and all of our problems are because of me. Should I move on or truly try to fix this issue?
2: Because you have kids, you should try to fix the issue and what you're going to have i think when you go into a counselor is your, your counselor is going to ask you how you feel and what your estranged wife needs to hear is that you feel that way that she feel she makes you feel like you can do no right That's no way to go through life. And she has to know that. And it's one thing, I think, to tell her that probably during the course of a fight. Another thing altogether, when the temperatures are a little bit cooler before a counselor. So especially because you've got kids, but secondarily, because you've invested seven years of your life in this woman, and at some point you did like her and love her, I think that you should give every opportunity. And it may not work out. 50% of all marriages end in divorce, but I do think it's worth putting some effort into it.
3: And as you said, if she's suggesting counseling, maybe then if something is brought up that she's doing negatively to contribute to the problem, she'll be open to hearing it from an outside party. Yeah. But even though it will cost a lot of money and even if it doesn't work out, I think... You may have peace of mind knowing that you did everything you could to save your relationship and save your nuclear family, if possible.
2: And I do think and it might not work out, but yeah, it, it, check and see if that's covered by insurance. By the way, that trip to the counselor.
3: Oh yeah, good tip. See, Uncle Randy knows what's up.
2: Yeah, I think it might be.
3: Man, well, good luck to you, kids. I hope yeah. you work it out. Me too. And if not, there's a lot of other fish in the sea.
2: I always want to see people being happy. Okay, Me too. so Me what too. what happened last night? There was something. That I jokingly told Joan that she could go get another guy or something. Oh, no. And she said, no, uh, I don't want to have to train another one. <laughs> oh.
3: Amazing. What a line. <laughs> Props to Joan. We're getting a ton of text on the text line, too, to let our questionnaire, or the person asking the question mm-hmm. know. First, her wanting to go to counseling proves that she still cares about you yes. and that she wants to fight for this. Good point. And a lot of people checking in saying counseling, a lot cheaper than a divorce.
2: <laughs> That's another great <laughs> point. That's a Thank you very much for that. Yeah, I that one didn't even cross my mind, but that is 100% right. But, hey, it, there are a lot of people that have worked through a lot of difficult things that are still married. There's a lot of people that got divorced and got remarried.
3: Oh, I know some of them.
2: Yeah, so give it a shot.
3: And love doesn't have a linear path. No, it doesn't. Everybody's relationship is different, and the development and the the ebbs and flows of a relationship is different. Yeah. So I, I always commend people for fighting for someone they care for.
2: Yeah, and not fighting against them, but fighting correct for, for
3: them. them, for and, them.
2: And one other thing about just knowing each other for seven years, and this goes back. I jokingly talked about having to be retrained, but it, <laughs> there is something to be said for knowing somebody for seven years and knowing the likes and dislikes and not having to start over.
3: Yeah, that's a lot.
7: Yeah.
2: All right. Thank you very much for the questions. Appreciate it. Appreciate all the input for ask uncle Randy. And you can always email me. Heck I'll send you an email back if you want at ask uncle Randy at one oh one ESPN.com. If you have a fight with the the significant other on a weekend night, hey, Randy will get back in touch with you. I really will.
3: You don't need a marriage counselor. Just email Ask Uncle Randy. there you
2: go. Uh, And you can always send us the mic drop and you can always send us a text. Coming up here with Carrick and Smallman, for the first time since 2013, nobody elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Who has the best chance that didn't get in yesterday?
0: That's next on Carrick and Smallman. We are right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: Nobody is elected to baseball's Hall of Fame in voting announced yesterday. The top vote getter. Was Kurt Schilling with 71.1% of the vote? You need 75% to be elected. Barry Bonds at 61.8%. He received 1.1% more of the vote than he did in 2020. Roger Clemens at sixty one point six and then Scott Rowland, who was most notable for us, made the biggest jump of anybody, plus seventeen point four percent, Michelle, with fifty two point nine percent of the vote. So Rowland looks to be on a track to the Hall of Fame.
3: I love to see that trajectory from him because he's worthy of that honor, and I hope as the years you know, continue to go on that he eventually gets there. And he he should. He's deserving of it. And it seems as if, you know, with more of the votes that more people who are voting are realizing that he's a Hall of Famer.
2: Now, let's go to Bonds and Clemens, who I think we both agree we would vote for, but it doesn't look like they're going to get in. They just aren't making enough progress. Bonds plus 1.1%, Clemens plus 0.6%. They're both in the low 60s. And I don't see either of those getting to 75 by the time their last chance at the ballot comes up.
3: I was thinking about Barry Bonds specifically for a lot of people of my generation. He is probably the best baseball player they've ever seen. Yep. And he wouldn't be in the hall of fame.
2: Right. And
3: how do you rationalize that? He's probably the best player that some, some people of a generation have seen and he's not going to be in the hall of fame.
2: Which is ridiculous because he was such a great player before there was any inkling of steroids. And even as we mentioned yesterday, even if everybody else was taking steroids, that leveled the playing field and he he was still better than those guys. And what he did, whether or not he was on steroids, to hit 762 home runs, to hit 73 in a season, to do what he did was amazing. And what I think is what he did before 2000, before 1999, that was amazing in and of itself. And yes. should... In my opinion, that that should allow for him to be voted in.
3: I think if you if you put it into context here in St. Louis, the best player that we've seen here is Albert Pujols in a yes. long time, and Albert would never do this. This is a complete hypothetical. It's for context. But if Albert Pujols heading into this season tested positive, and let's say he got suspended,
2: mm-hmm. he got suspended. <laughs>
3: Thank you, Randy. That in no way negates what I saw him do and in no way negates the fact, in my opinion, that he was a Hall of Fame player. And that's where I think it gets really tricky. And it's such a slippery slope when you're trying to assign a set of rules and standards, a blanket set of rule and standards about things that have happened off the field. And I know in, in this case it would directly impact, in some cases, performance on the field. But it's just very hard because not one set of rules applies to each player.
2: Let's even change it from this year. If if Albert, if there would have been whispers. And, well, there were. Right. But I mean, if they would have been as pronounced as they are for Barry. Sure. After his Cardinal career, when he gets to the Angels, if people, after that first year with the Angels, say, you know what, he's he's probably on something. Even then those 11 years that we saw leave out the following nine that we've seen. We're going to see one more, but even after those 11 years, he was a hall of famer. So yeah, that's the way that I would look at it as well. And Bob Costas makes the point that bonds was the exact same way. And I can't disagree with that. And Bill James actually put together some numbers about Barry bonds that before there was any hint of steroids for him, He was an easy Hall of Famer. If his career had ended in 1998, Bonds would have been a 290 hitter with 411 career home runs, 1,917 hits, 1,216 RBIs, 1,357 walks, and a 966 OPS with an OPS plus of 164. There are four other players that had at least four home runs at that time, 400 home runs, 1,900 hits, combined with a 290 average and a 160 career OPS plus, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, Jimmy Fox, and Ted Williams. Wow. Those are the people that had comparable numbers to Barry Bonds before uh, 1999.
3: Yeah, he should be in. Yeah. Now, <laughs> let's tough.
2: touch on Kurt Schilling because yesterday when he didn't make it, he wrote a letter to the Hall of Fame. And this is the way the the letter ends. It says, I will not participate in the final year of voting. I am requesting to be removed from the ballot. I'll defer to uh the veterans committee and men whose opinions actually matter and who are in a position to actually judge a player i don't think i'm a hall of fame famer as i've often stated but if former players think i am then i'll accept that with honor again i won't be able to thank you for your kindness and sincere interest in this process as it pertains to me i'll be forever grateful god bless you all again and one more time a final thank you for all of your efforts to help my family and i now and, and he starts off by uh, he wrote most of the letter is, woe is me. And I really didn't say bad things on Twitter. I didn't mean anything by it. But obviously a lot of people feel differently. But I do think that now he's given the odor, the the voters, whether he's on the ballot or not next year, he's given the, the rest of the voters an out.
3: And if you're the committee, you know, if you're the Baseball Writers Association of America, do you remove him from the ballot? Do you honor his wishes?
2: I don't. And here's why. And it might work as reverse psychology. Harry Carson, former linebacker for the Giants, had to wait a really long time. After the 2005 vote, he told the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I don't want to be on the ballot anymore. 2006, he was voted in. I don't think, regardless of what the public sentiment is going to be, a lot of people would not agree with Kurt Schilling if he made up a, a, a political speech and made it at the Hall of Fame. But like he said, he would appreciate the honor. I wouldn't, if I were a Hall of Fame, I wouldn't want to deprive somebody the chance of that, experiencing that pleasure. It's one thing if a voter determines he wasn't good enough or I don't think he's worthy of being in the Hall of Fame. Uh, another thing altogether, if a Hall of Fame says, no, uh, we're going to take you off the ballot. I I don't think that's the Hall of Fame's job.
3: Yeah, I I, I think, I agree with you, but also it is a pretty simple solution to a difficult problem. Yeah. <laughs> if, if they were to say, yep, we honor your wishes, we don't have to deal with this right. next year.
2: I, I just think that if, if I were in the Hall of Fame, I would put it back in the hands of the voters. I'd say, no, we've got our rules in place. You, you played, you had a great career last year, you had 71.1% of the vote. You're going to be on the ballot. And then if you're the Hall of Fame, the only guy that the Hall of Fame has kept out is Pete Rose. And that was for a clear breaking of the rules that was up in every single clubhouse. See, even though we disagree with it, that's why he's not in the Hall of Fame and that's why he's never been on the ballot. For a guy like Schilling, didn't break any rules. So I'm going to say, no, these are, if I'm the Hall of Fame, I'm going to say, no, these are my rules. You're going to be on the ballot. And I'm going to put it back in the hands of the voters and then he probably won't make it next year.
3: I also think by not getting him in you're opening Pandora's box to some extent because as I mentioned yesterday we live in an era now where everyone has a platform every athlete has their voice amplified Mm -hmm. in ways in which they never have before how many times have we seen old tweets or old comments from athletes come to the surface things that they thought they were tweeting many years ago and that no one would ever see and then all of a sudden it's brought to consciousness again I just think the longer we go on with social media and the more we document every aspect of our lives, athletes are going to say things that upset people. Mm -hmm. Athletes are going to say things that aren't politically correct. Athletes are going to say things that the general public thinks are deplorable and that they don't agree with and that are disgusting in some matters. But is that any way taking away from what they did on the field?
2: No. And ultimately, that's what we're voting for, isn't it? Is what
3: happened between the white lines? You would think so. You would think so. But I think that if... Kurt Schilling doesn't get in because of his views or because of the things that he said regardless of the context of the things that he said or the content of the things that he says. You're going to have to deal with this in the future. I don't know what which mm-hmm. player it will be, but you mark my words, there's no way that as we continue on as a society with the social media trends that we have that there's not going to be another player that doesn't put their foot in their mouth or say something upsetting and Kurt Schilling then will be the standard for that.
2: That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. Tioli next on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: We welcome your text to the Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. All right, Michelle, here we go. In mid to late February, Vladimir Tarasenko returns to the Blues. Take it or leave it. Game one of the playoffs. The best right winger on the St. Louis Blues is Jordan Kyrou. I'm
3: going to take it.
2: Better than Vladdy. I'm going to take it. I am too.
3: (laughs) He's eating up, Randy. He is cooking. Yeah. And And I don't know what to expect from Vladdy when he returns.
2: That's the thing. It's it's impossible to expect. But I would lean towards him being diminished. So I'm going to go with Kyrou.
3: Kairo has certain plays or the, like the goal we saw last night where you go, wow. Mm-hmm. He makes you say, wow, right. on a regular basis.
2: Yeah, and obviously Vladdy has been that guy in the past. But with three shoulder surgeries, is he going to be that guy anymore? Can, can Vladdy score that goal last night?
3: That's a great question. And I'm going to reserve my expectations for Vladdy based on what happened in the bubble. Because we thought yeah. when he returned last season that that he was going to be 100% and ready to go and that we were going to see him return to a certain form. And that obviously wasn't the case, hence mm. him having another shoulder surgery. So I'm looking at him as the cherry on top of the sundae. The sundae can be delicious without it, but if you get it, even better.
2: And by the way, I don't want to dismiss David Perron here either. No. But I just see an ascending Cairo, and I don't want to leave Perron out of the conversation because... There's a strong possibility that you get to the playoffs, and both Kyrou and Perron are above Tarasenko.
3: Yeah, we thought last night was going to be the Alex Petrangelo revenge game against mm-hmm. his former team, but it turns out it's David Perron that was schooling yeah. his, his former <laughs> team last night. He had a great game. He was great. All right, Randy, an interesting tweet last night from John Morosi. He says this, source, Colton Wong's market is heating up amid all of today's infield movement. The Cardinals, Tigers, Mariners, Rays, Cubs, and Phillies are among the teams to check in on the 30-year-old free agent who has back to back National League League gold gloves at second base. Take it or leave it, Colton Wong returns to the Cardinals.
2: Ooh, this is good. And I'm going to take it because my guess... Is that that market is between four and a half to five million dollars, which is what I thought when the Cardinals didn't pick up the option. I thought he looked like a four and a half million dollar player, and because of the the lack of a strong market, I don't think teams in this day and age are going to go six million for him over one year. I'll take it that he he comes back for roughly five million dollars for the year.
3: I had written it off that he was going somewhere else, that the Cardinals weren't going to spend that money. But since the market seemingly has self-corrected and it wasn't a performance issue for Colton Wong, why the Cardinals didn't pick it, pick him Mm -hmm. back up, but I could see it. I know he loves playing for Mike Schilt. I know he's comfortable here. He knows his role here and I could see both parties coming to an agreement. I think it would be great for the team.
2: Yeah, and Marcus Simeon is a shortstop, has a better offensive history. He gets a one-year $18 million deal from Toronto. And Andrelton Simmons, who's really diminished offensively in the last couple of years, but is the best defensive shortstop of his time. Both obviously play a more important position than second base. He gets one year $10.5 million. I just look at what is the going rate for a second baseman of, of his ilk, of Wong's ilk, and I can understand why the market is limited for him but yeah that being said i do hope he comes back because he would certainly be the best option for the cardinals as a leadoff hitter in addition to his gold glove defense all right emily butcher what do you have for us
7: from the 314 take it or leave it if roland makes the hall of fame he goes in wearing a cardinals hat yeah i'll take that take it
2: yeah it's it's cardinals or phillies i don't think toronto or cincinnati would have a chance and his greatest years were as a member of the MV3 with the Cardinals.
7: From the six-three-six, take it or leave it. Jordan Cairo has a better career as a blue than Robert Thomas. Ooh.
2: I'm going to leave that because I, I think they're different players. Thomas is a disher, and Kyrou is is more of a finisher. I, I think that they could be very similar, but they're they're different kinds of players. Man, you think about a team that hasn't had a pick in the top ten in like the last 20 years, and you've got those two young players that you're looking at for the future? Pretty impressive.
3: Pretty impressive. Yeah, I almost think it's a push because I think they're both going to be incredibly important pieces for the Blues for for years to come.
2: They may wind up playing together at some point and really being a dynamic combination for the Blues.
7: Right. All right, we'll stick with Kairou on this one. From the 636, take it or leave it, Jordan Kairou gets a hat trick this season.
2: Uh, Why not? I'll take
7: it. Yeah, I'll take it too. He's capable of it.
2: Yeah. he Like Ruby said, he could have had a hat trick last That's night. That's right.
7: All right, from the 573, take it or leave it. Real Mudo going back to Philly means that Yachty will come back to the Cardinals. Take it.
2: Yeah, I'll take that too. I think if everything else was equal, number one, if somebody was offering a bunch of money or two years, I think he would have taken it already. So if everything's equal and it's the Cardinals, the, the Angels maybe the Nationals and everybody's got the one-year contract for 6 or $7 million on the table, it makes sense for him, unless he's just insulted by the fact that the team he's been with since '04 gave him that offer after he made $20 million last year, which I don't think is the case. I think he'll come back if everything else is equal.
3: There's so many factors at play here, but when we spoke to Polo Asensio, who had spoken to Yachty, and he shared with us that Yachty didn't want to upset Cardinals fans, that he mm-hmm. shared with Polo that he really wanted st louis and he to remain on good terms that had a light bulb in my head because we know yadi loves st louis we know how much he loves the cardinals organization and it's a mutual love and a mutual respect and i wonder if that's a factor in his mind at all If, if the opportunities elsewhere aren't as desirable as he thought they would be even if he feels disrespected by the cardinals offer he knows his place not only in that clubhouse but in this community and To have fans back in the stands and to be able to finally have that moment where they get to appreciate him and vice versa, I would imagine if you've played your entire career here and you've seen it happen with your best friend in Albert when he returned, Mm -hmm. you know what that is going to be like. And that's a moment that he deserves. And I wonder if it's something that he thinks about.
2: And I wonder if going forward, in addition to just to thinking about it, being aware of the fact that the only two Hall of Famers that have played for the Cardinals that never wore another jersey for another team are Bob Gibson and Stan Musial. That's it. All the other ones, all the other Cardinal Hall of Famers have played for a franchise other than the Cardinals. I think he can safely say that he's going to be a Hall of Famer. So is he looking at that too, that he would be so unique in Cardinal history if he comes back, plays his final year here, or maybe years, and then retires and goes to the Hall of Fame, how he would be one of the three greatest ever to play for the Cardinals would be pretty impressive. It's
3: incredible company to keep
7: from the six, three, six, take it or leave it. Randy could have a second career as a life coach.
3: Oh, take it for sure.
2: I'm going to, I'm going to defer here.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Take it. You just heard ask Uncle Randy a few segments ago. And here's why you could be a great life coach. As someone who you've mentored and I've worked with you for a long time, you have an incredible gift for giving constructive criticism or constructive advice without being demeaning or without being rude at all. Like you have a very good way of suggesting to people, hey, maybe you should try this. And it lands. People, people think to themselves, he's right. I should do this
2: my philosophy basically in life is to be positive. So even when we're doing a show here and if I have to interview somebody and there's something that's clearly negative, I always try to start it off with a positive, you know, it's, uh, well, you've been hitting the ball hard, whether they have or not, (laughs) but you're one for 22. Can you explain it? And people might look at that as softballs, but I I don't want to have anybody be, get angry. Maybe it is a softball, but I'm trying to get the most out of anybody that I deal with by trying to be kind.
3: But that's why you'd be a great life coach, because you would get, you would say what needs to be said to the person in a way that they could receive it. Because I think oftentimes the life coach, they come at you very tough and very matter of fact and Almost as if I'm a drill sergeant. This is what you need to do: put the pizza down,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and people get defensive because they don't want to reveal uh, what their deficiencies are. They're insecure about them. Whereas if you come in and you're like, "Listen, I know you're feeling badly about yourself. Is pizza really the best choice?" Yeah, you know right. what? I mean? <laughs> They're like, "You know what, Randy? Probably not. You're right. Exactly. Just the way you deliver it, I think, could really help people." Yeah.
2: By the way, do you like the uh, Parenti Coach commercials?
3: Forensic, wait, which ones?
2: The uh, I, I think it's Geico, uh, where the guy uh, says, uh, okay, hire him. You're... Yes. <laughs> or, or you hired him. You don't need to make recommendations. He's pretty funny.
3: I also love, I forget what brand it is, so that's probably bad, but the ones where uh, young adults are turning into their parents.
2: Yeah, that's what I'm talking that's about. A, that's the yeah. ones? Okay, yeah. I
3: thought so. I Do thought we those... really
2: need... A sign that tells us To live, laugh, love Is
3: it Geico? Is <laughs> yeah, that it is Geico I love the one Where they're sitting down In the chair Where they're practicing Like <sighs> yeah. At the end of the day How you, your parents Just fall into a chair Because they're so exhausted
2: who, who else reads About submarines? My dad?
3: <laughs> you don't have to tell Everyone what you're Having for lunch <laughs> Okay
2: We all see it We all see it We all see it Brilliant <laughs> Very creative Brilliant uh, Thanks, Emily Thank you. And thank you very much for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. All right. The another? waiter
3: doesn't need to know your name. Someone just texted from the 407. That one's so good. The waiter doesn't need to know your name.
2: That's great. Hey, what do the Blues need to do to be intense enough to win tomorrow? That's next as we bring you our fresh take on 101 ESPN.
0: We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
2: in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Carriker and Smallman. And the weather people are saying that the snow and we're supposed to get one to three inches, kids. It's (laughs) supposed to start about now. And we just had a a MoDOT truck go by. I don't think it was plowing. I think it was putting down treatment for the road, but just a, a note to be careful out there. And if you have to go out and load up on groceries, get out there ASAP.
3: I see it. It's coming down. So here we go. If you squint hard enough, you can yep. see through the window. It's coming down.
2: From the 101 ESPN Weather Center, <laughs> here's Michelle Smallman.
3: Yeah, that's my report. Uh, it's snowing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we do appreciate your text. It's Progressive Insurance, which tells us about the effectiveness of those commercials, the the parental coach, and we all love them. And it, most of you texted in and said, yeah, it's Progressive. 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. But Michelle and I didn't correct ourselves. And so we're watching and talking about these great commercials, but we don't know what they're for. And we're thinking Geico.
3: We knew it was. We were on the right path. (laughs) We're on the right path. Um, People have been texting in different commercials from there. I love the one. If you print enough directions to get here, you're in the right place. Yeah. (laughs) So good.
2: And was I hashtagging? And then to see, the is it Rick, the parental coach, that just puts his hand on his forehead?
3: We all see it. We all see it. So good. Got blue hair.
2: <laughs> all right. The Blues come away with a 5-4 shootout win last night against the Vegas Golden Knights. The Blues are in second place in the Honda West Division. They move ahead of Minnesota. They're still two behind Vegas. And, Michelle, Tomorrow night is the big game. I think we all expected the Blues, that the Blues would turn in a great performance last night because it was the first game of these back-to-backs, and the big game is tomorrow.
3: The big game is tomorrow, and if you're going to break this pattern that you've developed early on in the season of coming out strong, taking the first game, and then not coming out with the same intensity and being undisciplined and ultimately losing the second game. If you're going to break this streak, now's the time to do it, especially versus a team like the Vegas Golden Knights. That's a strong team. I, I think that would give the Blues a lot of confidence moving forward. But it just, it's frustrating as a fan to watch them series after series have all these amazing threads that come out of the first game only to see them unraveled in the second game and I'm sure it's frustrating for them and I know it's frustrating for Craig Berube
2: no doubt about it and he talked actually on Sunday night after the loss to the Kings about how his team became dispirited after the first period well last night you allow a bunch of shots on goal you blow a lead but you still wind up with the two points so what effect will last night's win have on his team
5: yeah i mean we didn't hold the lead either tonight but uh we ended up winning it so which is good and you know i i think that we will take some confidence uh i felt like um you know we we, we get leads in this building and then we kind of try to hang on a little bit too much and they're a very good team and uh, a lot of special teams tonight and uh you know kind of a back and forth game but uh You know, we got to defend better. Um, And, um, you know, I think that we just got to we got to close these games out in here because we have the lead, but we just we just haven't uh, shut it down. got to close these games out. got
3: to close them out.
2: And they're capable. When he talks about the defense, there's no reason for this group of players. And the the forwards are a part of this, too, because if the Blues are playing their game, even against Vegas, the Blues are playing their game they take the tempo, they they take it to the other team and they maintain puck possession in the offensive zone. There's no way a Blues team on their game against any other team in the league should allow 46 shots.
3: No, absolutely not. Um, speaking of defense, Randy, we do, <clears throat> excuse me, this thing on my podcast called the shout out corner, mm-hmm. because sometimes a player or a person isn't the main headline, but they deserve a shout out. I would like to give a shout out to Justin Falk last yeah, he's night. He's
2: been playing well. He's
3: been playing really well. And how about the fact that Mark Stone lays that hit on, on Tyler Bozak and Falk says, Mm-mm, not to my teammate yeah. immediately throws down and immediately sticks up for his teammate. Shout out to Falk.
2: Big time. He's been great. And that is part of a mentality that the Blues have is protecting your teammates. We talked about the forecheck and the the team defense and the team playing as a unit. And that's something that David Perron talked about after last night's game.
6: With myself, with everyone, we want to compete more and more every single game. And uh, buying into the team mentality and uh, just understanding, again, like the biggest thing in this league, it's, it's not your... Um, 25% of the time you'll play a, a good game uh, regardless you just have energy you got legs and everything and the ones that you don't is is the one that really need to normally come up and the, I think he's done that a lot better and uh, yeah again like I, I couldn't be more happy for him he's a great kid and um, just the excitement that w- when he scores um, even in practice that we he, he skates he makes plays so it's good
2: talking about Jordan Cairo obviously and it is nice to hear Michelle that the players understand what is not working and what is working. They, they know where they have to go to be great.
3: Yeah, that's refreshing because when we've seen Blues teams in the past have issues of chemistry or effort, the response coming out of the team was, we don't know what's wrong. We don't know how to fix it. And I, I said this last week when this pattern persisted the fact that they have identified it and the fact that they're annoyed by it and the fact that they're aware of it and want to correct it is a positive. Now let's see if they can do it tomorrow night. I think tomorrow night is a pretty big test for them because if they're able to go out and beat Vegas back to back, that's huge. That's a big confidence boost and you've cracked the code in some ways. If you again drop the second game of a series, Mm -hmm. that's got to really sit with you mentally. Then it starts to become a problem that you're thinking about all the time.
2: And I know it's early, relatively speaking, but it is only a 50-game, 56-game schedule. And if you could win in regulation tomorrow night and tie Vegas for first in the division, the, the more days that you don't have to chase, the more days that you're sitting at the top of the division the better off you are. And so, as far as I'm concerned, winning tomorrow night because of what you talked about and the standings would be huge for this team. Blues at Vegas tomorrow night. Again, a 7 o'clock pregame with Alex Ferrario. 8 o'clock with the faceoff here on your Home of the Blues tomorrow night, 101 ESPN. And by the way, a a day off in Vegas. We were talking off the air earlier. (coughs) Maybe Petro has the Blues over for a lunch or a dinner today. Or maybe they are able to find a spot in Vegas where they can do some team bonding.
3: Petro's got the space. If he wants to host the team, he's certainly got the space. Um, I don't know if that's something that he and his wife want to do with four kids that they have to uh, fresh off a new move. I don't know if that's something they want to do is host the team, but... I wonder what's open in Vegas because normally an off day in Vegas that if this was mm-hmm. a normal season oh, and brother. the Blues were having these issues with the second game and they had an off day in Vegas prior to the second Wouldn't game plan on a win would not plan on a win. but I don't know what they're well I don't really know what's open in Vegas or what they're allowed to do
2: yeah and hopefully they'll be responsible and do something where they do have plenty of space and maybe just get a big ballroom at where their hotel is and Go f- have some slot machines brought in or some tables.
3: Our golf simulator.
2: Oh, there you go. Now you're thinking.
3: I've got golf simulators on the brain. <laughs> nothing I- wrong with that. Family Golf and Learning Center. After I uh-huh. went out there, I want a golf simulator all the time.
2: That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, a Lou Gehrig bat prepared to sell for about a million dollars. If you had a million dollars to spend on sports memorabilia, what would you buy? Michelle and I have our items. We want you to give us your items. What sports? And it can be any piece of sports memorabilia, whether it's for sale or not. You can tell us what you're going to buy next
0: on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: this segment, we should tell you that former Mizzou offensive coordinator Josh Heupel has been named the new head coach at the University of Tennessee after they fired Jeremy Pruitt. Have you ever seen the uh, pictures of Jeremy Pruitt trying to wear a gator mask? (laughs) Look at, check it out.
3: I'm Googling as we speak. Okay, just do
2: a Jeremy Pruitt mask. But Josh Heupel, who has been at Central Florida for the last three years, uh, the new head coach at (laughs) Tennessee. Isn't that beautiful?
3: What is he doing? What are you doing? It's like E.T. It's like E.T. Yeah. Great call, Randy.
2: So Hypel is there, and uh, that'll be a fun little—there'll be a couple of fun rivalries because Hypel was hired by Barry Odom at Mizzou, left Mizzou to become the head coach at Central Florida, and now Barry Odom is the defensive coordinator still at Arkansas, and then obviously Hypel going against a program that he was the offensive coordinator for. So that'll be fun.
3: Tennessee is one of those programs, like a Nebraska, like a Michigan to some extent, that has had success in the mm-hmm. past and that thinks that they should be Alabama. They think yeah. that— They're going to bring in some coach that is going to build their program, like a Clemson, that they're going to bring in a Dabo Swinney to make them a preeminent program in college football consistently. And it's very difficult to win in college football. What Dabo and what Saban have been able to do, and Urban in places, Mm -hmm. and at, at Ohio State, they're still there now with Ryan Day, is very rare it's very difficult right. to do but i don't think that if you're a michigan fan or you're a nebraska fan or you're a tennessee fan that that is the pill that you are willing to swallow
2: no you're you're a hundred percent correct and danny white who was named the new of, uh, the new athletic director at tennessee last week he was the athletic director at ucf so he just steals poaches the coach that he had at central florida and adds him to the Tennessee roster of coaches that continues to grow for the last decade or so. They've had four coaches in the last decade.
3: So even if they don't get into the playoff, are they going to claim themselves national champs? Yes. Okay, great. So <laughs> they're going to win either Just way.
2: Right. Yeah, they can't lose at, Central or at Tennessee. That's right. Uh, Michelle, a bat used by Lou Gehrig over 80 years ago is about to go up for auction. It's believed that the bat was used during Gehrig's final days before his diagnosis with Lou Gehrig's disease. How did they know? Uh, and subsequent retirement, possibly even in nineteen thirty, the thirty-eighth World Series.
3: Randy, how did they know?
2: And so the bat is estimated to sell for about a million dollars, and that brought to mind for us the the idea of what piece of sports memorabilia, if we had a million dollars, would we spend that million dollars on? Do you have any ideas?
3: So most of the things that I would want. Are not attainable mm-hmm. and they would definitely not cost a million dollars but I want something that means something to me I also want something that is super niche and that would be a conversation piece I would want something that when people walked in they wouldn't just see a baseball with Babe Ruth's signature uh-huh. on it, and I would want them to say what is that on your mantle. And I would say, well, settle in. Let me tell you. I always said if I could have any piece of sports memorabilia that I would want Chris Carpenter's rib. Baseball Jesus, we know the story. He had to have his rib mm-hmm. removed, went on to pitch after that. But when we interviewed him on the show, he said it's no longer. That when yeah. they moved back to New Hampshire, he had given it to his daughter, that it was in a jar, and it broke in the move, and that it smelled terrible. <laughs> and they, amazing. <laughs> which is amazing. They had to dispose of the rib. But I was telling Randy prior to the segment, it reminds me of Damien Hurst at the Fiana Hotel in Miami, Damien Hearst has a mammoth structure made out of gilded bones and a big glass case. So I would have Damien hurst did it, and I would have put it in a glass case on my mantle and had people say, what is that? i was say, it's Baseball Jesus's rib.
2: That's right. <laughs> That'd be awesome.
3: I also, on that, in that same very weird vein, would love the moth that flew into Matt Holiday's ear. Sure,
2: yeah, have that in a jar.
3: Or maybe a taxidermied rally squirrel. That has some meaning for us. <laughs> um, but in, in in reality, if I could have money to spend on something, I would think it would be so cool to have some sort of memorabilia from Stan Musual's when he was in the Navy.
2: That would be very cool.
3: Or maybe yeah. Stan Musual's harmonica.
2: Oh, that's there's another one. Put yeah, that in a case, that. have it on your yeah. mantle.
3: That would be very special. And obviously that resonates with so many people in mm-hmm. St. Louis, and I'm sure there's many of those out there. But how about the puck that was involved in the hand pass game?
2: Oh, yeah, that'd be great.
3: That puck symbolizes so much about what the Blues were and about what they eventually became. I
2: wonder what became of that puck. That's a great question.
3: We need to ask someone at the Blues because I wonder if they took that or if it's just floating out there and nobody knows which puck Mm -hmm. it is.
2: See, and and I want bigger things, Michelle, because I I want things that are noticeable because I I have a puck in my house. I could just say that it's a hand-passed puck and nobody would, would know the difference. I would like... The sweater that Petro was wearing, the game-worn sweater when he lifted the cup above his head for the Blues winning the Stanley Cup.
3: Where do you think that is?
2: He's probably got it, I would think.
3: I don't know if the, if the Blues would want it.
2: Or the Hall of Fame. Or the Hall of Fame. It could be. Or the other one that I would like, and this goes back to 2005. I, I have a lot of golf clubs anyway. But I would like the club that Tiger Woods, the, the lob wedge that he used for this.
1: Comes. oh my goodness oh wow no. in your life have you seen anything like that?
2: To get a glass case and put that wedge in it. And the people say, well, why do you have that club in a case? I say, well, Tiger hit the shot at 16 in 2005 at the Masters with that.
3: That would be an incredible piece of memorabilia. When you said Tiger and you said club, I thought you were going Elan's club from Thanksgiving.
2: Which oh, would you be another. That's a niche one to have.
3: That is a niche one to have. I wonder what became of that. But that would be incredible to have that club from Tiger. I think if I could have one jersey or bat or glove or club, I would want the jersey that was shredded off of David Freeze after Game 6, yeah. 2011, which I'm, I believe is at the Hall of Fame somewhere, right? In the in the bowels of the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. That'd be a good one. But we have a awesome. million texts, and we do appreciate you checking in with us. Uh, with a million dollars, I'd buy the putter that Tiger won the Tiger Slam with. That'd be another great one. Definitely. The, the last putt from that. No questions asked. I'm buying the Stanley Cup.
3: I think that might be more than a million dollars. I
2: wonder if you could buy that. That might be priceless. A Topps 1952 Mickey Mantle card. That'd be cool. In mint condition. How about a TB12 sign football without a few PSI?
3: now would you want one that already was deflated or you would get it and deflate it yourself oh, you
2: have to get it deflated and preferably from that Colts scheme
3: i wonder where that ball is i'm imagining it's in a lab somewhere
2: i yeah they've either that or roger goodell had them burned
3: that randy that was the worst story i've ever had to cover during my time in sports media it went on forever.
2: And it was so goofy.
3: It went on forever. And I remember we I was at ESPN at the time, and we would have our pre-show meeting, and we were like, if we have to talk, talk about PSI one more time, mm-hmm. because there was really no development in it. It right. was, here's what happened, here, here are the consequences, here's the research, here's the text messages. But it, it was just such a non-story that became a massive story. It was so annoying.
2: It really, it got out of hand. From the 618, one of my greatest memories is the 1980 Olympic hockey team. I think I'd have to buy either a jersey or a goalie mask of Jim Craig's. That would be awesome to have in your house. That'd be great. Here's one from the 314, a Babe Ruth game-used bat. If I'm not mistaken, McGuire had one of those the night he hit number 70. Maybe it was a Roger Maris. I think it was a Ruth bat, though, that he he had in his possession before that game on September 8th of 1998 when he hit—not not 70, when he hit 62. Wow. Yeah. So that was in the ballpark at Bush Stadium.
3: Did he buy it? Did he get it as a gift? How did he have it at the no, stadium?
2: I think the Hall of Fame might have brought it. He, it wasn't his. He just had it oh, in his hands. Oh, got it. Okay. But I think the Hall of Fame might have brought it. And then he gave them, I think we, t- we asked him about that, right? He gave them pretty much everything. He
3: said he gave, well, remember he was saying he was giving his teammates stuff? Family he was
2: members, giving, yeah.
3: But, I, and that says a lot about him, that in that moment he was thinking about where this would place in history and making sure that his teammates had things that they could remember this time by and that might be of some value to them.
2: Yeah, So it's sentimental value for stuff like that is so much greater, I would think, you'd hope, than financial value.
3: Well, like this one, Randy, from the 314. I would like a crushed Bud Light Seltzer from a Battle Hawks win. Oh, caw yeah, Caca. Yeah, imagine Caca. a Taylor Heineke slammed Bud Light Seltzer from the locker room mm-hmm. celebration after a Battle Hawks win. That would be yeah. great to have on your mantle. It
2: would. A couple of other ones. This from the 434. If he would sell it, I want Ozzy's 1982 World Series ring. Ozzy did sell a lot of his memorabilia. But I don't think the ring was involved. And then from the six one eight, and this might be the best one: shoeless Joe Jackson's shoes. Now that would be funny.
3: Yeah, that would be funny.
2: <laughs> so I, I think this is. I think we, this has been good for us.
3: Yeah, there's so many there's so many responses that I'm sifting through. I want the Patriots tape of the Rams practice. It was burned.
2: Yeah, it was in Foxborough.
3: It was burned. Yeah, but that would be pretty cool though to have the tape.
2: That we'd find something out, wouldn't we?
3: It's so strange the time in which things like that happened because now it would be in the cloud. Someone could That's just true, ha- yeah. hack into the cloud. That's a great point. And you'd have it. But back then, only one set of tapes.
8: <laughs>
2: yeah. I, I do have to get this one in. Clint okay. Malarczyk's bloody sweater. <laughs> so Steve Tuttle ran over his neck and cut his jugular vein, and he almost died on the ice oh my God. in a game against the Blues, the Buffalo goalie. But uh, he survived, and I'm sure that his bloody sweater is still around somewhere.
3: Do you think he kept it?
2: Probably. I would think that that's somewhere in his household as a memory.
3: I wonder if they cut it off of him.
2: Oh, you know what? I think they did. That's a good point. Probably did.
3: Probably disposed of it.
2: <laughs> Thanks for your input. We do appreciate your text. Tons of them, too, to 101 ESPN. Next up, we've got the fight for you.
0: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, Average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker.
3: Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 8.35, which means it is time for the fight. And who is going to challenge Randy today? Aaron is challenging Megamind. Good morning, Aaron. How are you?
9: Good morning. How are you?
3: I'm doing well. We're having a conversation on the show about if we had a million dollars, what piece of sports memorabilia we would like to own. So the floor is yours, Aaron. If you had a million dollars, what piece of sports memorabilia would you like to have?
4: Um, I'd probably want... Um... I don't know. Maybe uh, Derrick Henry's cleats from this year.
3: All right. Derrick Henry's cleats from this year. I bet you could probably get that for a million dollars. I bet that's attainable. All right. Well, let's see if the fight, if a victory is attainable for you against Randy. All right. Question, Question number one, Aaron. Jordan Cairo has been on fire for the Blues, leading the team in points this season. What year did St. Louis draft him 35th overall? Is it 2014, 2015 or 2016?
4: Let's go with uh, 2014.
7: What was Lou Gehrig's nickname? Was it Sweet Lou, the Iron Horse, or Iron Man?
4: Um, Let's go with Iron Man.
3: Question number three, Aaron. Who was the first Blues player to score 50 goals in a season? Was it Wayne Babich, Brett Hall, or Wayne Gretzky? Uh,
4: Babich.
7: And JT Real Mudo just re-signed a five-year deal to stay with the Phillies yesterday. Who drafted Real Mudo? Was it the Marlins, the Phillies, or the Braves?
3: I'm going
6: to go with the Braves.
3: All right, we are checking our score here. Randy's on his way in. Emily, I didn't ask you, what piece of memorabilia would you like to own? Got to be the David Fries jersey, the piece of it. I was at that game, game six. That would be, I would imagine, more than a million dollars. Oh, no, I know that. I know. that. I I could have anything? I said the same thing. That's somewhere in the Hall of Fame. I wonder what the price tag, what would the price tag be on that? If you were a billionaire and you had all the capital that you needed to purchase something like that, is it priceless? Does the Hall of Fame not give it up? If you say, hey, here's $50 million, I'm sure they're going to fork it right over. $10 million? Five? Where's Randy? he coming in or what can you wave him in here i don't even see him <laughs> anyway there's a lot of comes. options someone says some we're getting a lot of text someone says a pair of harry Carey's glasses that would be pretty cool to have michael johnson's golden cleats chatty kathy randy Carricker, is back at the <laughs> studio Ran, so, Randy, please say good morning to aaron hey
2: aaron how you doing i'm doing great how are you good One of the great things about being in our hallway is that you run into so many superstars and icons like John Hewlett, who works next door at Casey. And we were just talking ball and he was we were talking about the extra inning rule of putting a player at second. He said, do you like that? And I said, yeah, it's okay." But one of my favorite memories of all time is the Jose Okendo game. When Jose O'Kendo pitched, and Tom Bernanski was playing the outfield, so was Jose de Leon. And Whitey, whenever a right handed hitter was up, would put the better outfielder in left field, assuming that the right handed hitter was going to pull the ball, who is Bernanski, and then he'd put the, the lesser outfielder in the other side. So it got to a point where Atlanta was having lefty, righty, lefty, righty. And you, ma'am, would have to—he got to the point where it was Bernanski to left, DeLeon to right. <laughs> DeLeon to right, Bernanski to left. So, And it happened for, like, six or seven hitters. It was oh, unbelievable. Oh,
3: my gosh. <laughs> he knew the drill. It's probably <laughs> yeah. exhausting doing that. But, yeah, it is pretty fun when— we pop out of the studio to use the restroom or to go get a water, and you run into you, man, and you run into Riz. There's, yep. I call it summer camp because there's always someone fun in the hallways great. that you want to chat with. Uh, Randy, Aaron is with us. Say good yes. morning to Aaron.
2: Aaron, great to have you with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Yeah, thanks for having us.
3: All right, Randy, question number one. Jordan Cairo, we know he's been on fire for the Blues. He leads the team in points this season. What year did the... Sa- would... Wow, let me start that over. What yep. year did St. Louis draft him 35th overall?
2: That would have been... After 2016, after that season, uh, they actually got him in the second round when they sent Brian Elliott to Calgary. So that would have been the 2016 draft.
7: Randy, what was Lou Gehrig's nickname?
2: The Iron Horse.
3: Randy, who was the first Blues player to score 50 goals in a season?
2: Wayne Babbage, 54, 1980, 81. (laughs)
7: And J.T. Romuto re-signed a five-year deal to stay with the Phillies yesterday. Who
3: drafted him?
2: The Marlins did.
3: We've got a winner. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! We have a winner and still champion, Randy
0: Careaker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs.
3: Randy has not been messing around this week. He has been coming out on fire, just like Jordan Cairo. Sorry, Aaron. Randy beat you 4-1. to one. Let's run through our answers. Jordan Cairo was drafted by the Blues, 35th overall in the 2016 draft. Lou Gehrig's nickname was the Iron Horse. It was Wayne Babich, as Randy mentioned, in 1980, 1981 season, that scored 50 goals in a season for the Blues for the first time. And the Marlins drafted JT Real Muto back in 2010. Aaron, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for playing.
2: All right, thanks. All right. And by the way, Biscuit Pants, uh, Buster, LaRupin, or Columbia uh, would have been correct for Lou Gehrig, too. He had some other nicknames.
3: Wait, run through those again?
2: Okay, he was the main one. His main nickname was... Uh, the Iron Horse, of okay, course. Okay. He was also named Biscuit Pants.
3: Biscuit Pants. I guess
2: he was kind of lumpy, kind of a lumpy guy. Biscuit
3: Pants. Yeah. What a nickname.
2: Uh, also, Buster was what people called him. Okay. I don't know what LaRupin means, but yeah. that was another nickname. All right. And Columbia, because he attended Columbia. So people would say, hey, Columbia.
3: I can't get past Biscuit Pants.
2: That's kind of a, it's, it, it evokes an image, does it not?
3: Yeah, with Pillsbury's in your pockets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here comes old biscuit pants. Yeah. <laughs> Lumbering down first base. Biscuit pants. We need to find out the story behind that. There's got to be a story.
2: Yeah, there is. And I read his book, or not his book, but a great book about him. And I think I might still have it at home. You know who is a voracious reader? The uh, former Rams president, John Shaw. And he I... actually... He gave me that book. He, oh, nice. It was because uh, he, he knew I love baseball. He loved to talk baseball more than football. And we would talk baseball all the time. And so uh, it, it's a really good book. And I think the title might be.
3: Bessie uh, Pants? Uh, no, I think <laughs> it
2: might be The Iron Horse. Let's see. Well, uh, well we've got uh, the fabulous uh, You're Killing Me Smalls coming up. But I want to get the name of this book because you might, you, you might want to go onto to Amazon and uh, check this book out.
7: I just looked up Biscuit Pants. Yes. Yeah. It is because, uh, players called him this because of his baggy pants over thick legs and a broad back porch, in quotes.
3: A broad back porch. (laughs) There you go. A broad back porch for old Biscuit Pants.
2: And the name of the book was Luckiest Man. If you get a chance to read that one, The Life and Death of Lou Gehrig by Jonathan Eig, really good
3: book. Okay, noted. Sports book. But- I just learned a lot in the past two minutes. See? A, a book I need to read and a, a little-known nickname for a great. Yeah, Biscuit Pants. Good. I would be so mad if someone called me Biscuit Pants. He probably... I know guys are different. They chop yeah. it up like that.
2: <laughs> yeah, women probably would not want that one.
3: If I walked into one of my girlfriends and was like, what's up, Biscuit Pants? I'd be like, we're not friends anymore. <laughs> how dare you? First of all, how dare you?
2: <laughs> Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. I want to want ESPN.
0: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: All right, we're looking forward to this. It's time for...
3: You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, I'm so excited for the 9 o'clock hour because we're getting most of the band back together. We're going to yeah. chat with our old buddy DeMarco Farr.
2: It's going to be fun. 9.30 for DeFarr.
3: And so we're clearly going to talk to DeMarco about things happening in his life and in the NFL, and I'm sure we're going to ask him about the Rams. And maybe this is one of the questions on the docket for him. Jared Goff's future. We know that it's a pretty precarious situation between Goff and the Rams right now. Sean McVay was non-committal when asked about Jared Goff's future, as was their general manager... Les Snead, who we know here in St. Louis, but yesterday he was asked about his quarterback. He was asked about his status with the team moving forward, and his answer was pretty telling.
10: What I can say is Jared Goff's a Ram in this moment, and I said it's way too early to speculate the future. That's a beautiful mystery.
3: In this moment, he's a Ram, and it's a beautiful mystery. A nod to Aaron Rodgers, Mm -hmm. what he said about the future, but he didn't say he's our quarterback moving forward.
2: I never really considered Les need to be the bastion of intelligence, and yes, he Jared Goff is their quarterback at the moment. Jared Goff, who they say is mediocre, and I would have to think that most of the league believes is mediocre. Jared Goff is due a guaranteed twenty-seven and a half million dollars in 2021, a guaranteed $15.5 million in 2022. And the Rams are $30 million over the cap and his dead money, if the Rams were to move him during this off season, would be $65,200,000. So I would say that not only is Jared Goff, the Rams, a Ram for the moment, but he is a Ram through at least 2021, unless their desire is, is to rid themselves of Aaron Donald too.
3: Well, Lesney acknowledged acknowledged in the interview that it would be difficult to move on from golf because of the cap, but he also says, quote, anything can be done in the salary cap.
2: It can. And part of that would be, I don't I don't think you could even do Donald. I don't I don't know if you can do anything, I don't know how they would reduce their cap number enough being 30 million over and then to have the clear 35 million more for golf it's kind of like what we were talking about with Aaron Rodgers with the Packers where they would have to cut their 22 next 22 highest paid players after Rodgers just to get rid of Rodgers it wouldn't make sense for the Rams
3: If you're a Rams fan, I wonder how you'd feel about that scenario. You could move on from Goff, perhaps bring in a quarterback that you know is going to be better for you, but then you also lose Aaron Donald. Is that a deal that you would make? No. I wouldn't either. No,
2: and Hey, Goff can sit on the bench. He he can be a Ram, but he can sit on the bench and have John Wolford start.
3: Which I'm sure is very desirable.
2: Oh, yeah. Well... (laughs) Hey, the the nineteen ninety nine Rams didn't know that their most expensive quarterback would be injured, and their less, least expensive quarterback would be the guy that led them to the Super Bowl and won the MVP.
3: Of all the things in your life that have happened as a sports fan, is Kurt Warner coming out of nowhere still the most shocking? Yeah,
2: it's remarkable, and it's it, crazy. It should be a movie. It's and, going. It is going to be a movie. But I I tweeted last night because I was texting with some friends about Rogers and uh, a friend in Green Bay about how disappointed they are. Think about this. Aaron Rodgers has started for 13 years. Drew Brees has started for 15 in New Orleans. Each of those guys has been to one Super Bowl. Kurt went to three in essentially seven years of starting for the Rams and the Cardinals. That's pretty amazing when you think about the fact that Warner went to and started three Super Bowls, and those two epic Hall of Fame top five quarterbacks of all time wound up going to two between them, one each.
3: And he was bagging groceries in Iowa.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an incredible story how good he was. Whew.
3: Which makes me wonder too. Yes, he he was great. This is not taking anything away from him, but clearly He was put in an incredible situation, and the environment around him helped him succeed, especially at a fast pace. It it always makes me wonder about other quarterbacks who maybe didn't get enough of an opportunity or maybe were in the wrong situation that could have had an incredible trajectory had they been placed in the right spot.
8: We
2: don't know, but I think it's safe to predict that if Trent Green doesn't get hurt, that greatest show on turf winds up going to and winning a Super Bowl. Right. He was that kind of quarterback. But... Kurt had the greatest show on turf here. He did not have a great team in Arizona. And he, Ar- Larry Fitzgerald will say that the reason that he became a great receiver is because of Kurt Warner. Because Kurt Warner took what he learned here from his receivers and taught that to Larry Fitzgerald and Anquan Bolden. But then he had a used up Edger and James at running back when they went to the Super Bowl. Steve Breston was his third receiver, had no offensive line. They had the number 26 defense. That might have been more remarkable, taking the Cardinals to the Super Bowl than what he did with The Greatest Show on Turf.
3: You're killing me, Smalls. All right, Randy, another St. Louis legend in the making is Jason Tatum. He was out because of COVID-19. He returned to the Celtics, and they beat the Bulls this week, 119-103, to Tatum, 24 points in that win. But Matt Barnes has the All the Smoke podcast, and it's he, it's Steven Jackson, Allen Iverson joined them, and they were talking about Jason Tatum and about how good he is. And Allen Iverson had this reaction when talking about Jason Tatum.
9: Love Donovan. Jason Tatum. Dog. Killer. Dog. Hell yeah. He got a lot of Kobe in him, too. Yeah. You can tell. You
3: can tell he was working with him. A lot of Kobe in him, too. And Jason Tatum had that tweet. He quote tweeted it, and he said, this feeling is priceless. AI always showing love. And it has to be pretty cool for him to see people like Allen Iverson acknowledging him in this way.
2: Yeah, one of the all-time greats and a guy who changed the game. And you talk about somebody the one thing you don't question about him when he was on the court was as Jack Flaherty calls it he got a lot of dog in him yeah that's what uh, Iverson had when he played so that is a huge compliment and by the way just listening to those guys what an appropriate name for that podcast All the Smoke yeah you think they head out over to Jack in the Box after they're done?
3: <laughs> I don't know. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, I do love that Kobe comparison, though, because we know that Jason idolized Kobe yeah. and that he got to train with him before Kobe passed away. But I would imagine that not only is it Allen Iverson who's saying that about you, but hes com- they're comparing you to the person that you idolize. It has to be a very cool feeling.
2: And when you get those sorts of compliments because you're so competitive, it probably causes you when you're at the end of a game and you're all worn out to be more competitive because you don't want to let that perception down. You don't want anybody to have any other perception of you than you're intensely competitive all the time.
3: You're killing me, Smalls. Randy this made the rounds yesterday a writer from CBS let me scroll up Pete Blackburn mm-hmm. we know about Tom Brady's diet and he was trying to do Tom Brady's diet for a week to see if he could mm-hmm. do the TB12 method we know it's super difficult and I just wanted to run down again what Tom Brady does according to his trainer this is from his personal chef the things that he does and does not eat no white sugar no white flour no MSG He'll use raw olive oil to cook, but never regular olive oil. He only cooks with coconut oil. Only Himalayan pink salt as the sodium, never iodized salt, regular salt. We know Tom doesn't eat nightshades, and the reason is because they're not anti-inflammatory. So you're wondering, what's under that, ca- that umbrella? What's in that category? No tomatoes, peppers, mushrooms, or eggplants. No coffee, no caffeine, no dairy. His kids eat fruit, Tom? Not so much. He'll eat bananas in a smoothie, but otherwise no fruit.
2: What does he eat then?
3: I'm assuming he eats lean protein and vegetables. If it's green or if it's lean, that's what he eats. How boring. Think yeah. about all of those things that you cannot eat. Is, Tomatoes?
2: Is it worth it? I yes. don't I don't think yes. it's no, I, I don't think it's worth it.
3: Look at what he's been able to accomplish. He's the greatest of all time, and he's heading to his 10th Super Bowl.
2: Lane Johnson said he'd rather win one Super Bowl and have fun than win six and not have fun.
3: But that's what separates Tom Brady from the Lane Johnsons of the world.
2: I want to play for Andy Reid, where after we win the Super Bowl, we're going out for a cheeseburger. Make it a double.
3: (laughs) Well, it seems as if Tom Brady's having fun in Tampa with Gronk this year. It's a different type of fun. His diet is still so restrictive, but... If, if someone told you when you were just coming out of college mm-hmm. and you wanted to be a broadcaster, if they said, you are going to reach your ultimate goal, but to do that, you're going to have to sacrifice all of these things to get there, would you do it? Nope. You wouldn't? You would say, I'm fine just being average. I'll be yep. okay? Yep. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> But that's, but that's what separates him from the rest of us. We are average Janes and Joes. He yep. is the greatest of all time for a reason because he is willing to sacrifice his life and the pleasure that comes with food to be the greatest. I just really admire his discipline. No oh. dairy, no tomatoes,
2: I, I, no I fruit. I admire and appreciate it. I'm just saying I wouldn't do it. Yeah, I, I don't know. Let me be Joe Montana and go to a steakhouse and just win four but never lose one.
3: Let me live.
2: Yeah, exactly. So,
3: Joe's all right. Do you think you could do it for one week?
2: Yeah, I think I could do it for a week.
3: Maybe that's a punishment if we ever make a bet okay. that the loser has to do the TB12 method for one week.
2: Okay, that's a good, good call. Thank you, Michelle. You got it, Randy. Coming up, we're going to talk some baseball with Jesse Rogers
0: of ESPN. He's next with Carriker and Smallman. We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
2: One, two, three, four! It's 9.02 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, ESPN's Jesse Rogers, one of their great baseball insiders, kind enough to take a few minutes with us this morning as the free agent market finally heats up. Jesse, great to have you with us. Thanks for your time. How you doing?
10: Jesse, are you there? Yeah, I can barely hear you guys. How you doing?
2: Doing good. Let, we'll see if we can uh, pick that up a little bit and see if we can get you a little bit more volume from us. Well, let's start with this. John Mozalock said in December, he said, I think January is going to be the normal December and we had to wait until January 26th, but we finally saw some multiple signings in one day yesterday. Do you think we'll see an avalanche now?
10: Yeah. I mean, I think it started. Absolutely. I think, uh, You know, teams wanted to wait as long as they could for several reasons, whether it be the DH, their own budgets, uh, fans in the stands, all those things combined, I think. And, uh, yeah, I do think we're going to see somewhat of an avalanche. I think it's already started, to be honest. I mean, we saw the infield carousel take off. I mean, it it usually takes one or two, and I think D.J. LeMahieu sort of opened up the infield stuff. And, you know, I think the reliever, uh, you know, thing has sort of been going steady. And, um, yeah, I think it's going to, really pick up by february 1st you know most of the major guys are going to sign not all of them not all of them but i think most of the major ones will
3: jesse since the cardinals seemingly aren't going to make any moves this offseason we've been focusing a lot on the catching uh free agent market and yesterday with Rio muto getting in an agreement with the phillies we were paying attention to that as it pertains to yadi or molina do you think Yadi's is going to return to the cardinals
10: yes i think wainwright and molina will return to the cardinals i i i talked to wainwright a couple weeks ago he said it was mulling a couple offers, but you could just tell the way he was talking that St. Louis was still on his mind. I uh, haven't talked to anybody with Molina's camp lately, um, but it's my understanding that somehow, some way, they're going to find their way back there. And I I, I don't know this for sure, but I have a feeling they realize that, that both Molina and Wainwright realize that they're going to find their way back to the Cardinals. It's getting late. Um, you know, no one's going to blow either player away with some massive offer unless the Cardinals insult them, you know, really insult them. I see them both returning, but you guys are closer to it. Um, you may have a better feel for it, but the, the, the things I've been hearing and even just talking to Wayne, Yeah. They're, they're, you always have to have two or three teams, you know, just to have someone else to turn to. Right. Um, in case you need to go to the dance with them, but I, I, I do think they're both going to return to the Cardinals.
2: And Jesse, if that happens, that seems to bode well for the Cardinals in the Central Division because it doesn't seem like anybody else is really moving forward.
10: Oh my God, absolutely, absolutely. I might, I might make the Cardinals favorites without Molina and Wainwright at this point. You know, I just that the Cardinals are pitching organization. They always come up with pitching and the rest of the division just doesn't have enough. The Cubs don't have enough. They've subtracted big time. Uh, The Reds subtracted big time. Uh, We know what the Pirates are doing. Milwaukee's interesting because I love Craig Council. They're always hanging around. Um, They didn't subtract, but they didn't really add. I mean, Milwaukee is that type of team that will sort of be there in September, probably. But the Cardinals can pitch. The Cardinals can pitch, and Wainwright would certainly help matters. Um, And I I just think they're probably the best team right now in the division based on all the other teams subtracting.
2: ESPN's Jesse Rogers on 101 ESPN. And Jesse, the Brewers, according to reports, are at least listening to offers for Josh Hader. But we hear that the offers, it would take an overwhelming offer to, to get Hader. What do you think overwhelming would be to get a guy like that?
10: Well, I, they say that. I don't know if that's completely true because they have a, a closer in waiting. Um, the kid from last year was amazing that they had in the back end of the bullpen there. And um, my point being, of course, you put that out publicly, it would take an overwhelming offer, and then maybe you make a more you know, normal-sized deal. Uh, I've seen this guy up close, if you guys have. He, he, the shine is off a little bit. It is. He's starting to get hit a little bit more. He's not even using his fastball as much. Um, if, if I recall, he's walking a few more guys. It's just, a, it's a little bit of a crack, but that's, if you want to get a deal where you get something, you know, big back, you, 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 make that trade before he gets on the, on the other side of whatever he's, you know, maybe it's usage, maybe it's age or something Not that he's old, but you know, he has thrown a lot of hard pitches in the last couple of years, couple three years as that team has contended. So yeah, you talk about an overwhelming offer. It's going to take a, a top prospect. But we're not talking about, you know, it was a pretty good close. We're not talking about a four-for-one for for a closer. I mean, it's going to take one of your top prospects, maybe a couple other, you know, B-level guys. But I, I don't think it's the moon, that the the way the Brewers are talking. Now, look, they may held out. That's, that's their opinion. But I think teams understand the shines off him a little bit. If it wasn't, they wouldn't be looking to trade him, right? So I think there, there, there's a middle ground there. So I don't think it, it's going to take the moon to get Josh Hader obviously a good package but doesn't have to be the best in the uh, of of all your prospects that sort of thing
3: jesse chris bryant has talked about losing a little bit of the joy in playing the game the cubs are looking to continue to reboot if you had to look down the path how do you think this ends for chris bryant and the cubs
10: well i mean if you asked me a year ago i didn't think he'd be on the team in 2020 i thought he would have been traded at the winter meetings last year so maybe i'm not the right guy to ask but i i i it, I think at this point it's going to end by July 31st of this year. Um, I don't see any other scenario. He's not going to get an extension with the Cubs. That I would you know, pretty much go to the bank with. Um, so the other two things are, you know, you give him a qualifying offer and you let him walk, um, or you trade him by July 31st. Obviously trading him by July 31st means you get probably the most for him. Even if you get something for him, it's pretty much, sort of 50 cents on the dollar, I guess if he's having this huge, huge first half and, you know, the Dodgers lose a third baseman, the Braves lose a third, I mean, a real contender loses a a third baseman or even an outfielder, that's when you might be able to cash in on getting a better prospect or two on July 31st. But whether they trade him in the next month or two or or in July, they're not getting, you know, that huge, huge package you might want or expect with less than a couple, three months, whatever it is, left in his, in his uh, you know, team control. So that's how it's going to end. It's going to end with some sort of a deal where I'm sure Cub fans are going to be underwhelmed by the return, unless that specific scenario where he is really wanted by, on July 31st and, and, and a couple teams you know bid on him and, and, and give up something big for him.
3: As the Cubs continue to retool, and reading some of the, the quotes coming out of Chicago, they say they want to remain competitive, but it doesn't seem like both of those things can really exist at the same time. How bad do you think that this could get for the Cubs?
10: Pretty bad. And, and you know, you're right. They, they forecasted sort of this threading the needle. That's the phrase they use, threading the needle of contending while retooling. And I agree with you. When you trade you Darvish, just as he's – Becoming the best version of himself, it's hard to understand how you're going to contend. This isn't trading, you know, your best reliever. This is, a tra- this is trading your best starter. You know that 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 that's it. That there's not. That's the game. If you trade him at that point, in my opinion, unless you're just loaded and they're not. It's Kyle Hendricks and and who knows who else is going to be on that mound. Literally, it's it's four guys that you know don't have a track record at all or a very little one. Like you know, a guy like Alec Mills who pitched a no hitter but doesn't have that much uh, on his resume. So, yeah, I don't see how, and, and remember, this is before subtracting Bryant, and they're probably going to trade Craig Kimbrell if he's, any, he's anywhere decent in the first half. I mean, their problem is the division. Like, you don't even have to be that good to compete. But if, if you're 500 on July 31st and four games out, I mean, do you buy? No, you sell. And, but that's a tough thing to do. So the worst thing to happen with the Cubs is the division sort of coming back to the pack and they may be able to, you know, battle, you know, around five hundred and stay in it, despite the need to maybe, you know, retool more and, and trade a few more guys. So, Jed Hoyer is in a tough spot. I mean, I, that's why I, I would just go ahead and do the full-on rebuild right now instead of trying to do something. Even if you, who's, whoever wins this division, yes, it's the playoffs, anything can happen. But there's one year, you could say, man, they are going to be massive underdogs against the Padres, the Dodgers, the Mets, Phillies, Braves. And, man, the Marlins, they all might be better than the the top team in the the Central. So it's going to be a weird year. And I'll tell you, decision-makers, evaluators at the top of these teams will have tough calls to make in July other than maybe the Pirates,
2: Jesse Rogers, Trevor Bauer with Rio Mudo re-signing with the Phillies. Trevor Bauer is the number one guy on the free agent market at the moment. Any read as to where he might land or who has the, the edge in acquiring the services of Trevor Bauer?
10: Well, I always, you know, I'm in this don't count the Dodgers out of anything camp as much as they have and as good as they are. You just never know with that team. So I, and the Padres have made all these moves. So I always, and they have the money, obviously. I always, you know, wonder, you know, about the Dodgers. What's their next best, next big move? And that certainly could be it. You know, the the NL East is just keep, keeps on adding, adding people. I mean, it, it would not surprise me if he goes to one of those teams. And obviously the Mets have been tied to him lately. A lot of people thought about that at the beginning of the offseason. I don't have a great read on it, except to say he's going to go to a contender. That's number one. It's not going to be – he's not the centerpiece of a rebuilding team. And there's only a few contenders that can afford him. So New York, L.A., um, Atlanta's done. You know, Philly could afford him. Um, the Jays could afford him. They're spending a lot of money. They're overpaying people to come up to, to Toronto. So if they blow him away somewhere somehow – that's a possibility, but they'd really have to overpay, I think. Uh, but Bauer and, and New York seem like a pretty good fit when you talk about his personality. So I, I guess i put them as the front runner. but some of those big market teams as second choices wouldn't be bad for him because he, he'd still cash in and still be in a big market.
2: Jesse, final thing. The Cardinals sent out an email on Monday saying that spring training tickets would go on sale February 1st and their first spring training game would be February 27th. Yesterday the Cactus League and multiple government officials in Arizona send a letter out to uh, major league baseball to Rob Manfred saying that we would like to delay spring training by a month. We, we subsequently learned through a report that maybe that letter was, uh, prompted by major league baseball itself. What do you think happens with spring training in regards to a start date?
10: I think it starts on time. I think it starts on time. The fact that, uh, the NBA and NHL started when they wanted to start. Granted, it's, you know, different time of, uh, for them in terms of starting up their seasons, but they're playing, they started, they're, 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 they're going through it. Um, at least in the baseball sense the vaccines will be here at some point during the season, but it, it's going to start on time. There's not much baseball can do. Um, I, you know, again, they can't use the pandemic as an excuse. They just can't, they were, they were able to play through it last year and these other sports have started up. So. Uh, yeah, owners want to reduce the season because they they want more games with more fans. It's just it's common sense. They're not going to get it. Um, they have a CBA. They have to adhere to the commissioner again. Can't um, you know do what he did last year because the, the world is is sort of moving forward with with COVID and, and and the vaccines are coming. So I don't think there's much that's going to delay the start of of spring training. It Would have to take something else happening that that that's kind of unforeseen right now.
2: Jesse Rogers, we always appreciate your information. Love having you on. Thanks for the time. We appreciate it, and we'll talk soon. You got it. Anytime. Take care. Take care. That is Jesse Rogers, ESPN, with us on 101 ESPN. By the way, in regards to that letter, and it is kind of squirrely that there was a Zoom call where uh, reportedly a uh, Major League Baseball official asked those government officials in Arizona to send the letter to Manfred for uh, delay in spring training, and Jeff Passon notes that the letter is signed by The mayor of Glendale, Arizona, where the Arizona Coyotes are playing home games before fans right now.
3: Right. (laughs) That's why yesterday when we were talking about this, I was scratching my head a little bit because it is confusing that you're having games in Arizona right now. It just seems like uh, I'm not connecting all the dots here. No. And I, I understand it's a hot spot. I understand they want to get fans in there. I understand they want to make sure that everyone w- with the team and everyone that would be at the stadium will be safe and protected. And it is a difficult time. But you have a team playing down the street right now. Two teams. Two teams.
2: Because when Santa Clara County shut down everything in terms of team sports, That's right. Arizona opened their arms for the 49ers and The San Jose Sharks.
3: That's why I said yesterday, it just seems like another issue of baseball getting in its own way for some reason. And
2: this is really bad to to have baseball going to Arizona saying, "Okay, well, we want you to do our job for us because we don't want to play a full season again. It's pretty bad. Coming up, we've got today's big thing. The Blues with a statement and a player with a statement last night. That's next on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: Eric and Smallman on 101 ESPN. The Blues coming away with a 5-4 shootout victory over the Vegas Golden Knights last night. And Michelle, it was interesting to me going into the game that the opponents for Vegas so far have been two against Anaheim, not great, and four in a row against Arizona. I think the real first test for Vegas this season came last night in their seventh game. And I think the blues winning and they didn't do it in the prettiest fashion or in the best fashion, but the fact that the blues beat Vegas in their first real tough test says something for the blues.
3: Yeah, it wasn't, it was an exciting game Mm -hmm. and it had the outcome that the blues desired, but there's certainly some things that they would like to clean up, but there was also some great threads that you can pull out of that game. Some positive trends. And while last night might've been the first real test For Vegas, I'd argue tonight is the first real true test for the Blues. Tomorrow night. Or, yeah, excuse me, tomorrow night. I woke up this morning and I thought it was Tuesday, by the way. I'm weird on days this week. Okay. It's very bizarre. So, yes, tomorrow night. And you can listen right here on 101 ESPN.
2: And speaking of some of the threads of last night's game, one of those was put through the needle by Jordan Kyrou.
4: Love it. Blues being outshot 23 to 12. They forced a turnover. Great work. Blues bring it in. Kairou shoots. He scores. What an effort by Jordan Cairo He muscled up on the puck, and then he dropped the weights behind the goalie. Leonard couldn't keep an eye on it. The Blues are back up by two. Four to 4-2 the score. Kairou the goal.
2: Muscled up right past Alex Petrangelo to score that goal, too.
3: Man, and Petro's face afterwards said it all. He just hung his head back In almost disbelief but also acknowledging just what an incredible play that was by Jordan Cairo and that was the first time Petro knows he's on another team he knows he's not playing for the Blues anymore (laughs) but that's hey you're officially the opposition now
2: right and the Blues outshot last night 46 to 25 so another thing we learned again is that we really don't have anything to worry about with Jordan Binnington and Binnington's first four games The opposition had scored six five-on-five goals against him. The problem that the Blues have, and we're going to touch on this in a moment, is that they do give up too many power plays to the opposition. But even though they did that, they get past the three-on-three into the shootout. David Perron scores. Shea Theodore scores for Vegas. Braden Shen scores to put the Blues on top. And Alex Tuck was the last chance for Arizona. Arizona.
4: So a save, and the Blues win it. Alex Tuck brings it in for the Golden Knights on Bennington. He lost the handle. You can bring out the Zamboni. The Blues battle to win in the shootout, and they take a 5-4 win over the Vegas Golden Knights tonight.
2: Vegas Golden Knights, not Arizona. And the Blues do win it by a score of 5-4 to four in the shootout. But, Michelle, four penalties that resulted in Vegas power plays in the third period, seven overall.
3: Got to clean that up. You absolutely have to. These are things that we were seeing a lot in the second games of these series. The uh, the lack of discipline, the penalties. But they're lucky that they were able to, to win that game. And let's hope, too, from uh, an intensity standpoint, that they're able to carry that over into the second game tomorrow night as well.
2: And some of the penalties, I mean... Uh- Sometimes I can give a guy a break with the mistake of shooting the puck over the glass, which happened to the Blues um, on back-to-back situations with Pareko and Perron. But when you aren't skating and you have to hold somebody, you have to trip somebody, you have to slash somebody, that to me is inexcusable. Because that just means, A, that the other guy is a lot faster than you and you have to do that because you can't keep up, or that you just aren't skating.
3: Right. Effort.
2: Yeah. And when it's happening to people like Scandella. Marco Scandella is better than that. Braden Shen, and that was a legit call and it's just something that happens in the game. But Pareco shouldn't have to slash somebody. It's not that game anymore. Chris Pronger could do that, mm-hmm. but not Pareco now. And then the Scandella cross checking at 10:15 of the third was just something that shouldn't happen for a veteran player. So the Blues need to do a better job of cleaning, like you said, cleaning those things up. But I want to get back to what you talked about with tomorrow because the Blues have played three series now, won the opener in each, lost the second game in each, and we don't know how good the Blues are. We don't know how good Vegas are, or is or are there, they're going to be. But what we do know is that the Blues, if they provide an effort, they have a much better chance of winning that second game, and they just haven't had the effort so far in the second games.
3: One of the things that we do know is that the losing team in these series seems to come out with a little bit more energy mm-hmm. and a little bit more intensity. They want their payback. It's like a playoff series. They want their immediate payback. And when games are physical or a guy beat you the night before and you have a day to marinate on it and then you get to see them again, back to back games. It's a little bit more intense, and the Blues haven't done a great job of reacting to that. But in hearing all of the quotes coming from the team and from the, from Craig Berube, they're aware of it, and they've been talking about it, and they've been practicing, and they should know that, especially a team like Vegas, and especially with Alex Petrangelo on the other side, you're going to get that intensity and then some coming into the second game. And hopefully they match it, but I also hope that they don't put Jordan Bennington in another position where he has to win the game for them because he's been outstanding right. for the team, and I would I would like his teammates to give him a little bit more support.
2: And one of those guys that really hasn't provided much support so far is Vince Dunn, Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet in Canada, reporting that Dunn is on the block, and the Blues apparently are asking for a first-round pick in exchange for Vince Dunn, who played for a Stanley Cup champion. He's still only 23 years old, has a ton of skill, but obviously hasn't played up to the expectations of the Blues yet. And, Michelle, I look at this situation... With what the Blues had last night with Gunnarsson and Mikola both playing, Bortuzzo is down. And with Scott Perunovic on the way, who is kind of, he's supposed to turn out to what Vince Dunn was supposed to turn out to be. I think the Blues have plenty of depth defensively to be able to overcome a trade of Vince Dunn.
3: Yeah, there's been a lot of turnovers. Hasn't necessarily played up to expectations. And I'm not all that surprised to hear about this, especially after you heard Craig Berube after the game saying He's mad. he was <laughs> mad and he said we're going to keep that in-house and that's going to be a one-on-one conversation. There's few people in sports I would like to have a one-on-one angry conversation with oh. less than Craig Berube that can't be comfortable, um, but to have him say something like that it gives you a sense of where the team's at with Vince Dunn and I'm also at the stage where, and Doug Armstrong, we trust. If he's able yeah. to to move him and get something in return, he's he's got a pretty good batting average. So I would say go for it.
2: If you can get a number one, you take it. That's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to visit with our friend, getting the band back together. All DeMarco right. Farr is next on 101
0: ESPN. We are right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Steps back, rolls left, rolls right, and bad trouble back at the forty. He gets away somehow. Fires downfield there's nice
9: and timeout. We had just played eight snaps of, of gung-ho balls out football. And that was all we had. Everybody was out of gas.
0: Hey, know I you went out of the game with 26 seconds to go? You went out of the game with 26 seconds to go! Jack Back up.
9: And he looked at me right after he said that. And I about threw up on him. Really, I, I couldn't watch. All
4: right, guys. last play of the game.
9: McNair will work out of the shotgun. First thing on my mind was, please don't run. Because if he runs, there's nobody out there that's going to catch him. When he let that ball
1: go, there was a sense of relief. My God, thank you. We got a shot.
9: McNair
4: drops. Throws right side for nice and-
5: now the gateway to the best football team in the world. Tonight, world, champion,
9: baby. Baby. world Seeing that trophy was like meeting a celebrity. You know, you see him on TV, but here it is right here and you get to touch it and hold it. And it's yours.
0: Somebody you are you are have there. caused yeah. me some stress. We
9: got you the trophy. You have caused me some stress. We got got now you're here. Ah!
2: Saturday is the anniversary of the St. Louis Rams winning Super Bowl 34 and you heard a lot of DeMarco Farr on that piece and DeMarco Farr we're getting the band back together Michelle Randy and DeMarco he's back with us on 101 ESPN on the Brown Group and Crouppen Celebrity Line How you doing my man
9: I'm good I'm good Hey Randy, Michelle, what's happening? You could have started that edit at like a, a minute later. Did you have to put the Vermeer stuff on? <laughs> <laughs> it's a running gag. We always use that. <laughs> <laughs> i just hear his voice. You went out of the game with 26 seconds to go. <laughs> yes, coach, I'm dying. <laughs> out of here. Hey, w- oh, my with, God, wow.
2: Yeah, obviously, only you know what – went into that from 1997, actually from your rookie year, 94, but specifically with DV, 97, 98, 99. And now you know how hard it is to win a Super Bowl. You've you've been on the sidelines a couple of years ago with the the Los Angeles Rams. But, man, I I would think every year that goes by and you see Rodgers only get one and you see Drew Brees only get one, you really have to appreciate it more and more as time goes on.
9: You know, I do. I really do. Uh, as we get older and you, you gain more perspective on things, and I see, you know, what other teams are going through, like you said. And, you know, the team now, what, what they're trying to do, trying to build, trying to keep things together, and it just makes me appreciate it, man. We, we, we accomplished a lot. Uh, we, we overcame a lot, a lot of stuff that we didn't know that was going on. Uh, we, we overcame that to get it done, and it's so special. I mean, every time it comes around, it's, it's really special. Sometimes I forget, like this year, I forgot uh, that January 30 was coming around. And then I start to see interviews and Isaac and Tori, And then, you know, you guys were talking. about I'm like, oh, my God, it's coming around again. And, wow, how special was that that we were at the top of the National Football League and watching these teams currently fall by the wayside one by one and seeing how disappointed they are. And just it makes me appreciate that, that celebration that much more, man. I mean, you know, coming back for that parade – it uh, was awesome. Seeing pictures of it now, I'm like, what the hell were we thinking? It was cold <laughs> outside.
3: <laughs> well, DeMarco, you talk about how special it is to have that moment. Then it's even more important to put that into context with what Tom Brady's been able to do. I mean, heading to his 10th Super Bowl, as somebody that was there, you understand how difficult it is. What's your reaction to Brady getting back to the Super Bowl again?
9: Well, first of all, it's Michelle. I get to hear her voice <laughs> I again. I know. I and, miss uh, you, <laughs> DeMar.
3: I, I, I think I saw you on Twitter. Do you have blonde hair? I do. I got bored during quarantine, D-Far. I went totally blonde.
9: <laughs> I like it. Take it or leave it. Michelle Smallman with blonde hair. I'll take it. No, take it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. But yeah, man, I mean, um, every time, and this is funny, this goes back to, you know, the past Wayne. Every time I see Tom Brady win, I think of Randy Keger. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
2: D far, I got to tell you, he he's the greatest of all time. I, I I have succumbed. No.
9: How 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 can you not? Say, he's in the Super Bowl for the tenth time. I mean his his postseason touchdown passes, his postseason records. I mean they dwarf everybody. Even the, our heroes, Joe Montana, is looking up to Tom Brady. I mean it's it's unbelievable. So. No matter what stink he had on his career or who he affected, you have to say this is the, the greatest quarterback we've ever seen. He's been with Tampa less than a year, and they're back in the Super Bowl. I mean, how can you not say he's the greatest? He's, he's, he's unbelievable. That whole team was un- is unbelievable. Yeah, and
2: especially because I was thinking about you specifically because you guys had the number one defense in the league this year, and he kind of did what he wanted, and, and- – there were times where he did what he wanted against Tampa, but man, those two three and outs in the fourth quarter at crunch time, that was a really good job by the Tampa defense.
9: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Todd Bowles and what he's done with that defense and in Dominican Sue's down there, uh, J- Jason Pierre Paul is down there. That defense is really stout. They're good against the run and they can get after the passer. So they have all the ingredients uh, to be a dominant defense. Plus on offense, they've got some weapons. So, Yeah, no shock. I was surprised that the Rams actually came away with a win uh, against Tampa. And it wasn't that the defense, the Rams defense, played well. It's just Tom Brady was off that day. I think that's when Antonio Brown had just gotten there. So he was trying to force feed him the football, and they kind of got away from their game plan. But you could see, man, if they ever get this right, figure out that formula on offense, they've got it on defense. This is going to be a Super uh, Bowl-contending football team. And sure enough, here we are.
2: DeMarco, I'm, I'm sitting in my barco lounge on Saturday, and Jason Pierre-Paul Pierre gets that sack against Rodgers, and I had to give him a hand.
3: Freddie!
9: <laughs> <Brandy. laughs> I don't use it. <laughs> I know. You know, how much time do we spend talking about this dude and how crazy that was that he lost his fingers on the 4th of July, but here he is, still playing. It's amazing. You know? It's crazy. Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, uh, they're in the Super Bowl, and so is JPP, I mean... Uh, it's a great job that Bruce Arians has done with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not only Tom Brady, give him all the credit, but Bruce Arians has done a fantastic job with that football
3: team. d this is what you miss, the Randy JPP hand <laughs> jokes. This is what, this is oh what you miss God. on the show. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> but DeMarco, from a defensive standpoint, Patrick Mahomes and that Kansas City offense, it's a, it's a whole other animal. When you watch him, what do you see and how do you stop him if you can
9: you know what's funny? Uh, I was talking to, to Kevin Carter, and he was texting with Todd Light, you know, guys from our defense, and we brought up the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, what we would do against them, and we all kind of got quiet at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Who's going to run with Tariq Hill? Uh, no one wants that assignment. And then Patrick Mahomes, I mean, th- this is a – this is Brett Favre 2.0. This is the, the a, a, a quarterback that's not afraid to make any pass versus any defense, uh, but, but with just less turnovers, less of the, the, the cowboy mentality, but the same ability. So And I think we're only uh, – this is just the tip of the iceberg with him. So he is so special. He makes everything go. But their culture is second to none. Uh, you know, when you see them up close and watch how they treat each other and – Watch how they perform in-game. It's not about the opponent. They're competing with each other, not you. So it's not about you. It's about them. So that's a special culture they've created in Kansas City. And you'd have to think Mahomes is every bit uh, as big a part of that as anything.
2: Okay, if we had a game between the 99 Rams and the current Kansas City Chiefs, clearly it's a shootout. But whose weapons, whose offense do you like better?
9: Well, I'm taking our offense. Uh, we're, we're about to have five Hall of Famers on one offense. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Come on. How do you not take the greatest show on turf? As soon as Torrey gets in, that would be it. That's going to be it. So, um, yeah, against anybody's defense, even the 85 Bears, I'm taking our offense. But i got to be honest, man. I mean, that's that's a tough offense to stop. So uh, we may screw that thing up on defense, Randy. <laughs> yeah, well, you know
2: what's amazing? They're that good. And Eric Fisher, while a good player, he's no Orlando, and they don't have yeah. anything close to Marshall to be able to do that with Mahomes and essentially the receivers, and obviously the the otherworldly tight end. What what they do is amazing.
9: Yeah, you know, I had to when, when they were here um, that Monday night game, that that scoring explosion. So I'm actually standing in the end zone, so I want to kind of get you know my eyes on Patrick Mahomes up close. Let me see if this guy is really worthy of all the talk. So I'm standing 15, 20 feet away from him as he starts to sprint. He's in the red zone, and the play breaks down, and he starts to sprint towards, uh, to his left tw- right towards me. So I'm looking in his helmet. I can see where his eyes are going. He is staring straight at me or staring at the pylon and then throws the football backwards accurately uh, to Kelsey <laughs> in stride. Like, how in the hell did you see him, and how did you do that as you're running full speed? This guy – is special. So uh, it's no shock with a quarterback like that with Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy pulling the strings that that offense is that prolific.
3: Well, DeFar, we of course have to ask you about the LA Rams. I'm looking up at the TV right now and it's a video of Les Sneed saying that Jared Goff is a Ram at this moment with a Ooh. a title on it that's a Goff's future in LA uncertain. As somebody that has a front row seat there, how do you see this one playing out?
9: I think that's entirely fair, man. I, I think you have to treat everyone the same. If uh, Let's say if a, a defensive tackle had the same season, up-and-down season that Jared Goff had, well, your job is up for competition. They're going to draft guys to take your job. That's the way it goes. Um, so I think it's either smoke to get Jared uh, more motivated, to get him working to improve, because he has fallen off the last two seasons. And uh, the one thing I can't stand is, when a player falls off, we start looking for people to blame. We want to blame the coach. We want to blame the play caller. We want to blame the GM to pay him. No, how about blaming the guy? How about blaming him for not being better than he was the season, uh, season before? So if it's smoke to motivate the quarterback, then great. But look, all these quarterbacks, uh, Aaron Rodgers is about to be available. Matt Stafford is about to be available. Deshaun Watson may force his way out of Houston, so – if you're any football team that had to live through what the Rams lived through with Jared Goff, I think you'd be interested in any one of those quarterbacks. So it could be smoke to motivate his guy because I'm not even sure if you can move him with the contract that he's at, he has right now. But if it's smoke to motivate him, great. If it's, if it's, if it's reality that they're looking to move him, then, then awesome. Look at the quarterbacks that are available. If you want to improve the football team, then you may have the ability to do so. d
2: could you see them... Because I, I'm with you. I don't. I think it would be really hard to move Goff. But if they open up that quarterback job, could Wolford win it from Goff?
9: You know, the guy's got some legs, Randy. He really does. And I, we've seen this before. Um, when Jeff Fisher was the head coach, uh, give him hell with Kel. Kellen Clemens, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then there was, who was the other little short quarterback? Uh, the one that went to Minnesota had some success. Um, Case Keenum. Case Keenum, yeah yeah i mean they the, the you the, you like them because they're they're not the guy that they're replacing so he's just a little bit better than the guy replacing so uh is wolford good enough to win with i don't know is he a better quarterback than jared Goff he might be but what does that get you in the nfc west i don't know but if it's an open competition, I think it would be close to answer your question.
2: DeMarco and I were texting yesterday, and DeMarco texts back, I'm a girl dad, and my daughters are 20 and 6, and I thought, Ooh. man, I'm old. It's unbelievable to me that Trinity is yeah. 20 years old, and she's at Oregon State, right?
9: Yeah, Oregon State, second year of Oregon State, and, and about to move into her first real apartment by herself. Uh, good for her. Yeah. And then Gracie and is
2: 6, the, right?
9: yeah Grace is about to be six and what do you mean good for Trinity? I don't want her to move into an apartment I want her to move home
2: okay I say that for not being her dad
9: <laughs> okay you know, I told I just told Trinity the other day. Your mother is 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 you're the exact same age as as, as when I met your mother so just take that as, as for what it's worth. And the other thing being a girl dad, oh I totally blew it my uh, my, my Gracie the six year old almost six year old lost another tooth, and I forgot to put it under her pillow last night. Uh-oh. So she's looking for the tooth fairy. Oh, I messed up big.
3: Oh, no. I,
9: Randy, I need, I, I need some advice. How okay. do
2: I make this right? Here's the play, d Get that $5 yeah. bill and put it under the mattress. Say the, the tooth fairy must have messed up and didn't put it under the pillow. Put it under the mattress instead.
9: Good, man. I'm texting my wife right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I feel so bad. <laughs>
2: there we go. Hey, it's it's so good to hear your voice, and we wanted to have you on to, to celebrate your Super Bowl victory and talk about what's going on. It's always great to hear your voice, and, and we love you, man.
9: I miss you guys. Miss St. Louis. Uh, I miss Ted Drews. Uh, i miss missed everything. Uh, yeah. you, you don't when miss when this. I come back to town, I'm not telling you. I'm just coming into the studio. I'm barging in, and I'm going to sit with
2: you guys. We, we're on 7 to 10 every morning. We'll tell you right now, D-Far, and I looked it up. I know it's only supposed to get to 58 in L.A. today. We're getting one to three inches of snow. The snow is pouring down right now.
9: Okay, I'll wait till the spring. <laughs>
2: Good call. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my man. Thanks for coming on with us. We appreciate it. Love you guys. Miss you. Miss you, too.
3: Tell Susie and the girls we said hello.
2: Yep, C D Far. That's DeMarco Farr with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to cross things over with Danny Max. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up with Carriker and Smallman next on 101
0: ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: Snow and 28 degrees from the 101 ESPN Weather Center. I'm Randy Carricker. There you go. One to three inches of snow. We have not done a traffic report all day long. You think we should?
3: I was just going to ask you if the chopper could get in the air due to the, the weather conditions.
2: It is foggy and uh, it looks like the, the, the scene is pretty rough, but we'll try it. Okay, let's see. Uh, let's see if we can get that. All right, looking on all of east and westbound in Creve Corps. It looks pretty clear. I'm sure it's that way on 270, 55, 40, and 170. Just be careful out there as the snow continues to come down. Visibility is low. Keep those headlights on. And I'm Captain Randy Carricker from the 101 ESPN Jetcopter
3: 2. Safe landing. Phew. Good. Great work. Danny
2: Mac, how are you doing?
8: Doing great, Randy. You've got a new marketplace for your uh, resume. I'm telling you that that was that was sharp. I uh, our old friend Roger Brand, man, he better look out. Oh, I'm telling you, he was awesome, man. That guy, you He's know, when we were working at KMOX, I don't know if he ever slept. He was in a chopper half the time. Yeah, he was, <laughs> and he knew every single road in St. Louis. That's the thing that I never understood because I try to get around. I'm from St. Louis. You guys are from St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And when he was going through, okay, 170, and you got this on 40, and you're doing this on 270, and go down 50, I'm like, wait a minute. How does he know all that? I don't know. I get lost.
2: (laughs) Yeah, me too. It's it's amazing. And if I'm looking like on Google Maps, I I have to really focus on, okay, what's that? What's that? What's that? (laughs) (laughs) You know? And he's doing the same thing, but knows everything. Maybe it's an indictment on us. That could be. Maybe we aren't paying enough attention. I'll tell you this, and you guys will get to this point when your kids start driving. My kids do not read maps at all, and they never will read a map. They only get places through GPS, yeah.
8: and they don't know the names of roads. I have no idea. You don't either? No. Oh, even, I'm with Michelle.
3: Yeah, even in my hometown, my dad will say, oh, here's how you get here. You take this road, make it right here. I go, well, I don't know what that is. What are really? you talking Yeah, I have to plug, plug it in my GPS. Wow. Well, even when I was getting my license, there was MapQuest. We would print out directions. Uh huh. So it's not as if I had to memorize street names so, or pay attention. And so, especially because I'm from the Illinois side, over here in Missouri, I have no idea what okay. any of this stuff is.
2: Because, like, I'll say to Patrick, it's at Ethan Pine downtown. I know exactly where I'm going, and he has to plug it into his GPS.
8: And you have, Danny, you have to do that too? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I do it when I'm on the road. It, I oh, don't know time, yeah. how. I used to do this stuff, like going out on the road and renting a car and trying to figure out where I'm going. Because I used to have a map, you know. I mean, they actually had maps, you know, the ones that you pulled out of the uh, the glove compartment to get around. And um, I would get lost on that. So thank goodness the phones have GPS. Now I can get around. I've thought about this, guys, several
2: times. Like driving to Florida when I was – 22 23 (laughs) years old how the hell did i get there
3: i I have no both (laughs) of my parents met in california Uh in san diego that's where they lived my mom and her girlfriends drove from new jersey to california with a map and my dad and his friends drove from st louis to california and i have no idea how they were able to pull that off
2: it's impossible how
8: how did these people do this (laughs) danny how did we do it without technology uh, I didn't. I got <laughs> lost on many a trip. It's embarrassing, and I, I'm okay to say it. But yeah, I remember one time I was going to um, Indianapolis, which is really hard to get lost. Yeah. I mean, that's about as easy as you can possibly get to, and yet I got lost going to Indianapolis, and it took me three hours out of my way. So I, I'm not. I've said many times, and both of you can uh, verify this, and. Um, make the positive statement. If it is positive, I'm not the brightest guy. So if I don't have that with me, um, uh, it's not good. Not good at all.
3: No, Dan, you're incredibly bright. Don't say that. But Thank
8: you, Michelle. Uh,
3: you're welcome. But you know what else I think is amazing is how people made plans prior to having cell phones or texting you could not cancel on someone or if you did that must have been such a diss to not show up or if you got caught in oh, traffic yeah. and you weren't there did you pull over to a pay phone and try to call someone's home and hope you got them before they left their house to go to the destination i just imagine a world in which everyone is misconnections or making each other angry because they can't get in touch with one another to cancel plans yeah totally well, i yeah. gotta
8: say you know I got to interrupt you, Randy and Michelle. You're right. My new thing is, and it's been a New Year's text as much. I'm texted out. Yeah. I'm zoomed out. <laughs> I am uh, computered out. So I just I actually pick up the phone and actually call somebody and say, "Hey, are we doing this? Great, let's do it." Yeah. And then I move on. As uncomfortable as it may
3: be. No, I like that. I appreciate that. And it's more efficient because if you're calling me, I'm going to pick up because it's rare. And then I know we're on. And
2: and I, I totally appreciate that, Dan. And you are one of the people that I know that likes to talk on the phone. And we've had Joe Buck on before. And Joe's on his voicemail message actually says... I don't
8: talk on the phone. Just text me. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I hope so, I don't get that from Matt Holiday next hour.
2: <laughs> oh, he's coming up. Good. Uh, what One other quick thing on the GPS. So, Katie, when she was going to school at Bradley, we would have Patrick go pick her up some days when I was working during the day. And there's a restaurant in Peoria called One World. He puts into his GPS One World. He's not paying attention. And it's for a One World in Baltimore. And he's not paying attention. He's oh, just no. going along with the GPS. He finds himself in Indiana and gets a speeding <laughs> ticket. The only reason that he didn't drive all the way through Indiana and probably wind up in Baltimore is because he was speeding and got a ticket. Otherwise, he would have just kept on going. Wow. Yeah. So when you plug stuff into your GPS, make sure it's the right destination. Noted. Yes. Noted. <laughs> Thank you, Uncle Randy. <laughs> all right. We're looking forward to uh, you and BK. And today, let uh, ask Uncle Randy, by the way. Uh, Danny. Libby asks you for the code to your cell phone. Do you
8: provide it? Oh, boy. (laughs) Uh, Not that I'm doing things that are bad in a marriage. I just don't really want her going through my phone. So, no. Uh, That's exactly
2: what I said. Michelle
8: did a poll on Twitter. Would
2: you give your significant other the code to your phone? And the results were
3: overwhelming. 83.7% as of now. And we have over 1,500 votes Says yes, that they would give the passcode, which is pretty shocking based on a lot of the response we were getting on the text line.
8: Yeah, but good for America. Oh, wow. Well, they're lying.
3: <laughs> I think so, too. I think I think they're voting uh, based on a hypothetical situation about someone else's relationship, yeah. not about their own.
8: Right. I'm going to say the majority of people that voted are probably 75 and older then. <laughs> Very established in their marriages.
2: There you go. We'll be tuned in with you and BK and looking forward to hearing from Matt Holiday. All right, guys, thanks. Great job today by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Michelle, as always, great work. The show flew by.
3: This was so much fun, Randy. I'll see you tomorrow.
2: Yes, ma'am. And uh, thank you for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast,
0: powered by I Promise.
1: Here's the lowdown on lowering bad cholesterol from Lecvio. Lowering bad cholesterol is hard, but you could do hard. You live through five fad diets, 11 sleep training nights, nine mediocre middle school recitals, one heart attack, Or call 1-833-537-8462. Ask your doctor about LECVIO. That's L-E-Q-B-I-O. Lower. Longer. LECVIO. Let me guess. Unknown caller? You could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection. The latest innovation from Discover will help regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data. And we'll do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com/slash online privacy protection.
9: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines.